0: 燃え上がれ! 冠めもやがれ冠め Hello and welcome to Weekly Suit Gundam, the special bonus podcast brought to you by the folks at the Weekly Stuff Podcast. I am Sean Chapman. And I'm Jonathan Lack. And we are here once again to dive into the wonderful and wild world of Mobile Suit Gundam. We're getting back to our regularly scheduled programming, Jonathan, because last time on Weekly Suit Gundam, we took a brief detour into the world of modern Gundam by talking about the brand new film, Mobile Suit Gundam, Hathaway or Hathaway's Flash. But now we're getting back to... Our proper project of going through the history of Gundam And watching through the series in chronological order Because today we are going to talk about the first half Or the first 28 episodes The first two arcs of Mobile Suit Gundam Age I think a very, very interesting show
1: Absolutely I am really excited to talk about this one And it's a show that has I would say not much of a reputation Leaning to Mm -hmm. a negative reputation Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong on that and I think that's one of the reasons why I'm excited to talk about it and maybe maybe set the record straight a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's a show that I think in the Western fan base in particular is generally ignored. I'll talk about in our history segment a little bit of the Japanese reception. I mean, to put it short, it was not particularly well received when it came out uh, in Japan. Um, but, but yeah, I think it is a show that is very under-discussed the Gundam fan base, it's a show that I liked but didn't love on first viewing, and I think I'm—I still wouldn't say I love it, but I'm enjoying it even more. I think on rewatch and kind of appreciating a lot of the interesting kind of perspectives and things that it's taking on Gundam. Um, and I think it's a pretty interesting little show that's doing some cool stuff.
1: I like this show. Yeah, I like this show a lot in places. It is never top shelf Gundam because top shelf Gundam is a really high bar. I do feel like, though, like when I look at this show and what it does well and interestingly and so different from other Gundam shows, I feel like you have to be kind of a snob to, to, mm-hmm. to look this particular gift horse in the mouth. Because just because so many Gundam things are masterpieces does not mean the things that are not masterpieces should be overlooked. Gundam yes. Age is not a masterpiece, but I think it's a good show. Honestly, the thing I might compare it to most is After War Gundam X. Yes. In that I think it is a show that tries some really interesting stuff. It's a little more minor key. It maybe does not have the full space to fully realize everything it goes after. But man, when it is kicking, it's kicking in a way no other Gundam quite does. And I really like that. And I will just say, if you're listening to the beginning of this but haven't watched Gundam Age... Don't skip this one I, I you owe it to yourself if you like gundam too I, I do think it has a rough start i think it takes a little yes. time to grow into itself but it is worth it i i finished these first 28 episodes last night sean and i had quite
0: a smile on my face it it does some really good stuff yes i i'm 100 percent with you and I'm, I'm glad that we're on the same page as being pro pro gundam h because it is yeah, because I think it's easy, and we'll talk about it when we get into the show, I think it's easy to point out a couple of the things that, like, the show could be a bit better at. It's, as you say, it's a lot like After Gundam X. It's like some elements of the show are don't feel particularly ambitious. And there's some things that I think I kind of like the show almost more for that, that it's like it knows what it wants to be. Yes. It's just going for it. It's got, like, a very good vibe and tone to it. Um, And then I think critically, if you are a big fan of Gundam, Um, I think that this is like well worth the watch. And I think it does some really interesting things like after Gundam X does playing with the idea of Gundam, looking back on the original kind of handful, the original kind of arc of Gundam shows and doing some interesting kind of commentary on it and playing with the characters and the concepts and the themes in different ways. So uh, 100%, if you're someone who has not watched the show yet, again, we're going to cover the first two arcs, the first 28 episodes on today's episode um, like, yeah, really, I'd say go watch it and and have a good time because I think it's it's a fun show to watch.
1: And I'm glad we're splitting this one up. We, we could yes. have done all of this in one because this is not a show with season breaks the way Gundam 00 is, but it has very clear arc breaks. And I think getting to the end of that first half, the first two arcs, I felt really glad that we have time to give them sort of a full exploration here because there's so much interesting stuff. And it's a very interesting period where I think the show goes from having... Maybe the roughest start of any Gundam show We've watched I would I would say the roughest I think the first three episodes are really bad And then I think the way it builds into itself And then has a great finish at the first half And then the second arc is just Really good It's yes.
0: really good Gundam um, Is a really cool growth that I'm excited to talk about 100% um, but do you have any other because I feel like Jonathan you have a little bit of housekeeping news before we jump into the main stuff
1: Yes, I do. So a little bit of housekeeping news particularly if you are someone who listens to this show on YouTube where I know the show is popular And so I've focused a lot on the YouTube channel um, The show is popular enough now that we are getting heat from the copyright gods Yay, Yay Because YouTube. in the episodes I've had fun using Gundam theme songs and stuff which I don't really know who that hurts, putting 30 seconds to a minute of a Gundam song on a Gundam podcast where we recommend Gundam for three hours. I, <laughs> I really, really struggle to know who that hurts. But because I have used Gundam theme songs and stuff, episodes keep getting blocked and taken down and I'm having to... YouTube is so annoying about it You can't just like make a new version of the thing and upload it You have to trim stuff out on their end and you can't add anything you can just cut stuff So a lot of the episodes in our back catalog are just sort of getting butchered Even though the bulk of the episode is just us talking There's little things that are getting cut out that's making them very choppy So starting with this episode I'm debuting sort of a new format on YouTube Where we have sort of a new standard theme song that I worked very diligently on to make sure it does not get any copyright detection on YouTube, and I've checked it several times. So it doesn't. Um, sort of a new ending you're gonna see that also does not, that is, these are all Gundam themed, but they are not official Gundam recordings from like the CDs. So they do not get like the music labels down our throats. Um, And I think, I think you'll like it. It is, I'm sad. I'm really bummed that I do not get to do a different theme song for every Gundam show, because that's something I had fun with the YouTube versions of, but especially for 2000s Gundam, just it's new music. It's modern musical artists. Japan in particular is so litigious with copyright stuff. Um, It was becoming unfeasible. So I'm debuting the new format here. The, the, the plus of this new format is that it has Zero copyright detection at all So there shouldn't even be any ads on these episodes Anymore if there were once in a while before I don't know I have YouTube read I don't see ads but um, If ads were showing up they shouldn't show up anymore um, And then what I'm going to do Is I'm going back through the first 30-ish episodes everything up To this point and I am Remaking those episodes I'm In my files I'm calling them Gundam Like one Gundam two remastered just as a joke mm-hmm. to myself, they're not that remastered. It's um, the
0: director's cut version of the director's podcast. Cut.
1: Well, I should say nothing from in terms of our talking is getting cut or altered in any way. Um, it is just some of the stuff around the sides that was causing copyright snafus. And I will be re-uploading all of those. Now, a lot of those videos have a lot of views and comments and stuff. And I don't want to get rid of those. So what I'm probably going to do is once a new one is uploaded. So like let's say Weekly Suit Gundam number one. I have the new version of that up. The old version of Weekly Suit Gundam number one is going to go unlisted, but it's going to stay in a playlist in case you want to see any of the comments, see any of that stuff, that will be there in in an unlisted playlist because unlisted videos, if they're in a playlist, can still be seen. So that's where those will go and then we will Have a new run and what Will be nice is these will be consistent I've gone Back and remade all the show art For every episode of the show in higher Quality with a more sort of because Weekly suit Gundam was a fucking accident And at the start like did not mean to do A long-running show so I've now standardized All of the show art and all these different Things so it looks nice it has all the different Logos I've made over the last couple years that stuff's still there and that's fun Um, but It will be a more consistent version of all Of it and luckily because this This is a pretty new podcast we've been doing, Sean. I still have all the original assets, I still have all the original audio files and everything that we used, so nothing is going to be of lower quality or anything like that, and it's fairly easy for me to put together. So hopefully sometime within the next two or three weeks. My plan is I will probably render these and finish them and upload them, but I won't push them live until maybe they're all ready to go, so there's not just like a steady feed, but there will just be one day where 30 videos come out. And we just repopulate the feed and that will happen very fast i think that's probably better to rip off the band-aid fast than do it a little bit over time
0: yeah and, and that way you know if you you know you can have a weekly suit gundam day where you're like well fuck, now i gotta rewatch all the episodes get the, get the, get, the, get the, give those guys their view back yes um so if you, you want to do that we'll we'll have our weekly suit gundam day which i don't probably we have probably done we've yes we have definitely done over 24 hours yes. of the podcast so maybe we'll split it across two days <laughs> give you two days worth of podcast to to listen to
1: yeah so anyway that's what's happening hopefully it will be less of a headache for me and everyone else going forward there's episodes that just like no matter how much i cut youtube will not like right now i don't think the after war gundam x episode is up on youtube because it just I've cut everything that they said was copyrighted, and it's still blocked for some reason, even though all that's left is you and I talking about Gundam, but YouTube is fucking stupid,
0: so there you go. yes All right so so yeah, so we'll be updating and fixing some of that stuff and, and just kind of uh, mo- modernizing the channel for the 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 copyright um, th- you know the the very intensely copyright heavy days of the internet we are now in yes so
1: be on the lookout for that but in your podcast feeds if you listen to this on spotify or apple podcasts or anywhere else nothing's changing and i will still use gundam theme songs because fuck
0: these fuck them i'm not i'm not stopping yeah because because they don't give a shit about actual podcast podcasts they only give a shit about videos i don't know why but that's just the way that companies are
1: yep well they give a shit about youtube because youtube just does whatever they want and honestly does more than they
0: want they're so over litigious about it it's crazy All right. So let's go ahead and get in now into uh, discussion proper with Mobile Suit Gundam Age. So let's start with the kind of the history section because I think this is going to be a little bit longer than normal because there is like a lot of shit that goes into how Gundam Age gets made because it's one of the more interesting kind of stories to how one of these comes about. Because Gundam Age is not solely made by Sunrise, which is the animation company obviously that owns Gundam along with like a billion other anime things that you love. Um, and so most Gundam stuff is just, it's just Sunrise using Sunrise people. They may sometimes hire directors and stuff kind of outside the norm um, and bring them in. But this is an instance where Gundam Age basically comes about as a partnership between Sunrise and the video game development company in Japan called Level 5. So basically where it comes from is the uh, sort of CEO of Bandai Namco Entertainment um, at the time, Unozawa Shin, came to Level 5 and basically asked the main guy at Level 5, Akihito Hino, um, who's like the main, he is both the creator, founder, CEO, and the main creative force and director for most of the products at Level 5, and he came to them and said, hey, we want you guys to make a Gundam video game make us a Gundam video game. And then Hino came back and said, that sounds awesome. As anyone would do, I feel like if the people who make Gundam came to you and said, hey, make a thing that is Gundam, you'd be like, yes, please, thank you very much. Um, But Hino also came back and said, really what we want to do is to make a TV show and then we'll make a video game and, and a whole multimedia project Kind of based around the TV show but i really want to make a gundam because i have to imagine probably akihito hino has probably wanted to make a gundam ever since he was a kid looking at, at his you know when he was born and stuff like that and the popularity of gundam so what level five is for people who don't know the history of the company it's it's not necessarily you know it's not capcom or square enix level but it's a pretty high profile and very successful video game company um, in japan that was founded around 2000 Um, One of his first games was Dark Cloud on the PlayStation 2. um, And then they really kind of hit prominence with, um, they handled most of the primary development duties around Dragon Quest VIII. um, And so they kind of made most of the game stuff there. They obviously partnered with um, the main creators behind Dragon Quest to make that. um, But that's where they got their big break. And then they proceeded to make um, a lot of franchises that people may have heard of. Professor Layton, which is super popular over here, um, you know, like one of the most popular franchises on the DS. That was a level five production. Um, they made Inazuma Eleven, which is before uh kai Watch is definitely the most successful thing they did. Inazuma Eleven is a soccer-based uh, kind of video game franchise on the DS that then got spun off into anime adaptations and manga like Inazuma Eleven is still super popular you will still hear it or see it be referenced in a lot of different places so they hit a lot of success with that they then also made Nino Kuni um if people like Nino Kuni or Nino Kuni 2 that is also level 5 um, but in the modern context and this is post Gundam age um Yokai Watch is definitely the most successful thing they have made Yokai Watch is fucking huge in Japan it is like a massively massively popular franchise that has made them a shit ton of money and there are yokai watch movies and tv shows and manga and everything under the sun toys anything you can imagine you, there's a yokai watch of it in japan um and gundam age is kind of snapped snap, at smack dab in the middle of from level 5's perspective um them making an 11 and that being their big cash cow um and then before they actually make yokai watch which comes out in 2013. So that's kind of where level five comes from. Of course, I think Inazuma Eleven's popularity is probably why Sunrise came to them, or Bandai specifically came to them and said, hey, make us a Gundam thing. And Hino says, we'll make you a Gundam thing, but we want to make a TV show. Part of the concept around Gundam age comes fundamentally from them wanting to make a Gundam thing that is aimed at a younger uh, demographic. And so The demographic stuff for Gundam has always been kind of weird because Gundam has always hit higher in the demographics than what they have been trying to go for. And we talked about that a lot in the Tomino days uh, specifically because the, the demographic that the Tomino era Gundams were going for, talking about Mobile Suit Gundam, Zeta Gundam, Double Zeta Victory... Um, those are all supposed to be basically the same demographic that Gundam age is aiming for, which is your kind of like 8 to 12 ish boy like that's like the prime demo. Uh, the Tomio Gundams did not do particularly well in that demographic, particularly when they were airing. Um, certainly, like, if you think of Zeta Gundam, like, the, the idea of an eight-year-old watching Zeta Gundam is just, like, really horrifying, because that is not a show that should be watched by children for a lot of different reasons. Well,
1: I mean, it would bore them to tears, in part, because of, like, the politics of it. Like, yes. it's a very
0: talky, like, heady show.
1: Um, Yoshiyuki Tomino is good at so many things, but he is emphatically terrible at making shows for children. He, yes. he constitutionally cannot do it.
0: Yes, um, but he's very good at making shows for like an older teen and young yes. adult audience, which is where the Gundam popularity really came from. And that's kind of part of why Gundam's popularity was such a slow burn is because it utterly missed the demographic it was aiming for. But through word of mouth, eventually it started gaining that kind of cult following among other people who were still watching children's shows. And they were like, oh, my God, this is not just a kid's show. Um, this is this is actually really good, um, and they're like 18 or 20 uh, and stuff like that. Oh my god, is that 10-year-old holding his mother's severed head in a helmet? <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like you yes. watch the first episode, it's like, oh god, the, the main heroine's entire family gets blown up by a fucking explosive in the first episode of this show. <laughs> that doesn't seem like it's for kids. Um, and then, and, and I should say that I think one of the things about then later you get to Gundam Seed, I think one of the things that was like really successful at Gundam Seed, which is still the most popular Gundam in terms of like viewer ratings and stuff like that, um, and while it was airing, um, like Gundam Seed is one of the most successful Gundams from like its like ratings when it was airing, is because Gundam Seed, I think, is a show that is very good at hitting its specific target demo, which is not that eight to twelve; it's more that thirteen to seventeen ish demo, which is what Gundam Seed is aiming for, and um, also as we talked in a a cross-gender demo,
1: a, a boy yes. and girl demo, which which Gundam had often been aimed at boys, but Seed has this,
0: like, sprinklings of shoujo on it, you know? Exactly. So Gundam Seed, I think one of the reasons why it was so successful is because it actually was hitting the thing that Sunrise and Bandai wanted it to hit, and it hit that demo really, really well. Um, and so Gundam Age is their attempt to make a show, for, a Gundam show for kids. is like, the, the simple way... To put it um, and I think there's a lot of things that go around that so I mean the show itself like just to like emphasize the point that that is specifically like what it is designed to do is the show was announced in Kodakoto um, magazine which is a magazine that is like a kids magazine so it was like specifically being aimed at children Inazuma 11 is also a children's franchise later Yokai watch is obviously a children's franchise like a lot of the main kind of creative side from level 5, are all people who are most known for making kids stuff? Um, like I think very notably the most striking thing is Takuzo Nagano is the character designer. He was the character designer for Inazuma 11, or Yokai Watch. Like, if you're wondering why these people look like Yokai Watch characters, is because it is the Yokai Watch dude designed the characters and worked on the show, right? Um and then same thing with um uh, Hino the main writer and the kind of main creative force. He was the main creator behind Professor Layton, Inazma 11 Yokai Watch. So you are getting people who have been historically good at making children's entertainment, making a Gundam that is for children. And one of the reasons why they were doing this is because Bandai and Sam- Sunrise saw that the popularity of Gundam amongst that demographic, which is obviously one that if you're a toy company, you want to have like a tight grip on they saw that Gundam wasn't super popular and was following falling in popularity amongst that demographic so they wanted a show and something and like a game specifically to kind of shore up those issues and kind of like make something that was more aimed at that market um rather than the market for Gundam that they had which was some teenagers and stuff but at this point a lot of Gundam fans particularly like Um, fans of the original stuff you know they're all like old they're like the dads and stuff that are still making Gunpla and stuff so they wanted to to shore up their demographics and make Gundam Age for that and that's I think an important thing to understand in terms of when you look at Gundam Age some of the things it's trying to do is sort of bridging that gap Um, and specifically Akihito Hino his approach was he wanted to make a show that appealed to a children's demographic but that retained like a lot of the essence of what Gundam was. And I specifically saw a quote that was basically him saying that what he wanted to do was take the themes of the Gundam franchise and kind of translate them in a way that would be both entertaining, but also like explicable or understandable to a child. And in that sense, I think like from that specific perspective, I think Gundam age is like hugely successful. I I agree. Um, And I wanted to talk about
1: that because it's something where, I have to imagine that part of the like reluctance to Gundam age in, in a lot of the fandom is I think sometimes people look at it and go this doesn't feel like it's for me and it's like well maybe not exactly it it is I think more aimed at kids than some of your other Gundam is. Um, but i think this feels like a show where like every every day i've been watching this show sean i've thought to myself man i would have loved this as a kid and i really like it yeah. now but i'm like this would have been a really cool show as a kid this is if i had kids this would be a great baby's first gundam like not baby baby but you know what i mean right like yes this would be a really good one to start a kid with um i have to like i'm surprised that it didn't get a bigger push like over here like with a I, it doesn't have a dub I forget if this one has a dub mm, I, I think actually I think it does okay. Yes uh, yes, it does But this feels like something that could have been big on Cartoon Network or Nicktoons or something And and I don't know it, It's something that I do think this show is successful at that And that does not mean it cannot be enjoyed by adults You know I, I hate to break it to all the Avatar fans Avatar is uh-huh. a kids show And Avatar yes. starts as like an aggressively little kids show And I know it gets more mature over time But like just because you like it It doesn't stop being a kids show And it's okay to to like a kid's show. So I just want to like set that
0: foundation right now. Yeah. it's Yeah. That's like true of like really good kids entertainment can be is good for everybody, but it's still made for kids. And that's like yes. Pixar movies, Disney movies, like all of that is children's entertainment. And even if you're like 30 years old and you go see the latest Pixar movie at the movie theater, like you should you should understand that like this is fundamentally not made for you, but it can be really well made and you can enjoy it regardless whether or not you're in the intended audience.
1: Yeah. Or like let's use a, a really good example here. My neighbor Totoro is one of the best movies ever made. That yes. is a movie aimed at like four year olds. Like. Yes. And that's okay. And if you are forty and are moved by that movie, that is
0: one. That means you are a good human being. That's all that means. You know. 100% so yeah so Gundam Age is is aiming to be that and and I do think that it's very good at that I'll say just like I guess like just to get to the, the, this point though um when Gundam Age starts coming out it basically bombs in Japan um like in in every demo like it doesn't do particularly well in the kids market it doesn't do well in like an older market obviously um and part of it also is that this is the first Gundam that comes out in sort of the era of the modern internet and is like new during the modern internet, right? Because a lot changes between 2008 when we're talking about Double Gundam and 2011 when we're talking about Gundam Age because now social media is established, Twitter is a thing. Like over here, it's YouTube. At this point in Japan, it would have been Nico Nico Doga. But like, it's the same concept of you have, you now are not, in the fractured internet space of the early to mid 2000s where everybody's on separate message boards and stuff like that you are now in the consolidated modern internet of mega sites um, which means that Gundam Age is the first Gundam to get like actively review bombed and stuff like that by older fans while it's coming out and all that and like people harassed online involved in the show's production for a lot of reasons of what we're talking about of them making fun of the show they just like oh it's this dumb show for kids not liking it um, and it, it is it is a the first Gundam to be victim to that kind of modern internet um, backlash kind of thing, um, which is which fucking sucks. Uh, and I'm hoping, and I do kind of get a sense that Gundam Age is getting a little bit of a revaluation. Um, like when I was doing some research, I saw some like more modern stuff on the Japanese internet talking about it, and kind of getting a sense of, you know, while it wasn't super popular with the kids demographic, there were kids who watched it, and now those kids are older, and I think like look back on the show very fondly. Um, but so, so it didn't do particularly well in its market, but the other thing with Gundam Age is that it was never designed only to be a TV show. It was a multimedia project. So there were manga adaptations that were coming out at the same time. Those were also coming out in, uh, uh manga magazines that were aimed at like a younger audience. Like it wasn't like a to Jump audience. It was in a Kota, Kota magazine and stuff like that. Um, but then you also had two PSP games. Mobile Suit Gundam Age Universal Excel or Universe Excel and then Mobile Suit Gundam Age Cosmic Drive. These two PSP games are um, basically a Pokemon Red Blue scenario. Universe Excel is the one that has a bunch of mobile suits from the Universal Century Gundam shows like Mobile Suit Gundam Zeta, etc. Cosmic Drive has a bunch of ones from um not just the cosmic era which is Gundam seed but generally just alternate universe Gundam so there's Gundam Wing G Gundam that kind of stuff is in that version of the game and then you know you have compatibility where you can play against each other I think that you could trade mobile suits back and forth also um it's like I've I'll say I've played like five to six hours of universe excel on a PSP um, emulator and it's like hard to tell with the menus exactly what the like connective features were because obviously if I'm playing it on an emulator it's you it can't like look for other PSPs nearby and stuff like that but I'm pretty sure you could trade them um, back and forth. Those games came out August 30th 2012 so it's like three or four weeks before the show finished airing and they're basically like the story of the show in video game form um, and the gameplay itself having played like four to five hours of universe excel there it's like very fine it is kind of like a really kid focused like more kind of dumbed down version of the combat from the gundam extreme versus versus games it's very kind of you're boosting around you have a melee attack um a a ranged attack and then you have a set of different special moves you can equip to your uh mobile suit and it's really kind of designed around a similar th- flow as extreme versus games or virtual on which is where this gameplay comes from where you're really kind of trying to find a moment where the enemy is either not blocking or not moving um these kinds of points where like maybe if they were boosting they land on the ground and that's when you time your attack is for like when they have stopped briefly um and it's got that similar kind of flow so if you've played any of those games you'll kind of know the way the combat feels but it's much more simplified Um, In these PSP games and it is also kind of like a JRPG light on top of all that where you're going around doing the story stuff getting pieces to the Gundam that you're unlocking. I will say I find the game like incredibly slow especially if you're playing it while you're watching the TV show so the story stuff does not feel impactful in any way. Um, so like, I played like five hours wanting to just get to the point where the game opened up, and I still feel like I have not gotten to the point where the game opened up, so I don't know if I'll... I, I want to continue to play at least to get to the awesome stuff, the ARC 2 stuff, um, so I'll talk about it more maybe next week, uh, or not next week, next episode. Um, but that was a big part of the projects for Gundam Age was to come out with these two PSP games. And while they didn't like Bomb Bomb, they also did not sell particularly well, which I don't think you would expect them to if the show was not performing well. But it's not all dark for Gundam Age in terms of its success in Japan, because there is one thing that had uh, during success, um, connected directly to Gundam Age in Japan. And that was an arcade game called Mobile Suit Gundam Tri-Age. Not to be mistaken for Mobile Suit Gundam Tri-Fighters, although the title for that show, I now realize, almost certainly comes from this arcade game. Um, Tri-Age is a game made in the same model as Dragon Ball Heroes, which is a hugely successful arcade game in Japan, which basically the concept is that you buy packs of cards and then you scan the cards into the game and use them to complete missions, and the game gets updated over the years. And Tri-Age is almost 10 years at this point and it's getting shuttered at this point, only to make way for a sort of sequel, basically. That's a more mod- modern version of the game. Um, obviously, Tri-Age, over time, was not just Gundam Age mobile suits. It started out that way. But as new Gundam stuff, like when Iron Blood Orphans came out, they put a bunch of Iron Blood Orphans stuff in it and, and things like that and updated new card packs, all that. So you had that. That was like quite successful. Um, it also had a home version, I think, on like the 3DS that also did quite well um and with that you then also had a whole line of new toys that Gundam Age was sort of designed around a little bit where if you're wondering why the Gundam Age 1 has the like removable arms and legs that the new suit arms and legs comes onto is because they made these figures that are designed for kids because Gunpla is too finicky and you'd have to make it yourself and they could break easily so they're not really well designed toys for young kids but they have like pre-made models that would come with like the Gundam Age device thing that you could use with the game on um, the arcade game, and then they would also come with the cards and then if you bought the Gundam Age One, for example, you could then buy like the Gundam Age Titus booster pack and that would just come with the card and the arms and legs for that suit, so you could basically kind of pop them on, replace the arms and legs um, it's kind of similar in some ways to what a lot of like the the um Skylanders and that whole kind of brief like toy video game thing we had over here where you kind of scan the toys. There are some similar concepts around that with the gauging builder or GB line of toys that they released around this stuff in Japan. Um, so Tri Age, like very, very successful in Japan. Like it's it ultimately is kind of like its connection to age is a little bit tangential, um, because as it grows, it just becomes a Gundam thing in general. Um but but I was happy when I was researching it that I found at least one thing that looked like, hey goddamn age did make sunrise a shit ton of money it just wasn't through the tv show or the psp video games yeah i mean did level five work on the card game at all or um that's a very good question i don't know let me i think i can probably click because they did make the psp games right those are level five yes yes they made the psp games and they made them in like concert with the tv show right um no so it looks like i think bandai made the tri-age game internally Um, But it is all based on, the original release was all based on Gundam Age specific stuff. Now, Sean, I have
1: seen um, stuff online that I have no idea if it's real because it's like English Gundam fandom stuff that this show was originally planned to go longer than
0: it did. Is there any truth behind that? This is a very good question. Yes and no. Um like this is because so I saw the same thing. This is there's a sentence on the English language Wikipedia for this um show that says like very definitively that it was going to go for a year and a half um, and then got cut short and then the wikipedia the english wikipedia then says it as follows then mobile suit gundam and afterward gundam x as gundam series that were cut short that is i think way too definitive a statement to be phrased about any of the sourcing i could find for that one of the main sources for that is an interview that hino made um after the show finished airing where he talked about the way he phrases it the best way i can kind of think to translate it in japan or from japanese is he basically kind of states that he wished the show had had could have gone on longer. Um, and specifically he cites, he wanted to have the awesome is school section at the beginning of part two be longer than it was, which I think makes sense. Although I can feel that
1: I think in the show,
0: honestly, although I think maybe the, it's better that it wasn't like, I think if you look at part one, I think the accelerated pacing of part two makes it better than part one was. Um, but you can see how you, why the creator would have wanted it that way. Um, and he says that. Then basically, there were kind of plans or talks about maybe it being a six-core show, which would basically be that year and a half, rather than it being a four-core show, which means it's running for basically one an episode a week every week for a year. Um, but the way everything I found in Japanese, the way it's phrased, is never it was designed this way and then it was canceled or cut short the way like if you read interviews about after gundam x or mobile suit gundam they do not use the same language to describe what happened to gundam age my guess is what happened was like there were ideas about if gundam age was super popular it would have maybe gone on for longer but because it wasn't super popular it ended where it ended but there's i want to make it very clear that there's no version of where like they were planning to have a fourth gundam boy because there are three gundam boys across the Three slash four arcs of the show depending on how you divide it up Um, And they say that from the beginning The line in
1: the next episode previews from the very beginning is Three destinies will shape history or however that's said in Japanese So like they clearly were planning on three and the way it's divided You couldn't have stretched that out to six cores You would have had to have a fourth age if you were going to go to six cores And it's so yeah it just seems to me like that wasn't true This doesn't seem like a show that
0: was cut short no, and from what I remember about the second half that we have yet to watch for this podcast, it doesn't have that feeling at all. So, yeah, I, I think that that is something where the English fan base had took kind of a statement that I was talking about. There were ideas around potentially making it longer than that, um, than what it ultimately ended up being, but that's not the same thing as it being cut short or canceled. Um, yeah. Like, I yeah, I, my ongoing just assumption with the show is that that is not an accurate reading of how it went from a, a business perspective. Because also,
1: like sunrise has never made a gundam show that goes longer than a year that's not how it works they like that would have been a really big like change of like the status quo to go more than four cores they've never done it
0: yeah it it would be the only again the only reason you would do it is if the show had been hugely popular and there are shows that do that that are specifically in that younger demographic right like i think one of the main reasons why this show people are wondering why they did the two season thing in double o gundam and kind of split it Where it is four cores total, but it's split across two shows with a major time gap between them in terms of production. I think the reason why they went back to the more traditional Gundam thing of we're going the full year, one week. I think there's only one time where they had a week in between episodes, like in like the 40s or something. There's one gap. Other than that, it was like clockwork, no recap episodes, nothing. One episode every single week for 49 weeks. Um... The, the reason why they went back to that is that that was and still is a fairly common production model for shows for that younger demographic in Japan, like Yokai Watch and stuff like that. So right. um, I think that's why it's kind of structured that way. Um, I think there is the last thing to talk about, I guess, very quickly. Um, a couple of the other people involved in the production so you have, as I said, Akihito Hino, who's the main dude from Level Five. He is the writer for uh, Gundam Age, and more so, more so than for any writer for any of these, he is the writer because he's both credited as series composition, which is like kind of like the head writer of the show. Um, but he also is credited specifically as having written the screenplay for twenty-five of the forty-nine episodes. That's wild. Which is a fucking massive proportion. Um, it's huge. And that's like spread out across the entire run of the show. Obviously, when you look at which ones they are, it's a lot of like the major episodes are ones that are written specifically by him. They, but then, you know, you have a bunch of other writers that are obviously handling the other 24. Um, most of like the nitty gritty staff in terms of animators, storyboarders, episode directors, a lot of those are just people, Sunrise people, rolling off of Double Gundam coming onto um this show. You have the character designer is from Level 5 working on that. Um, and then the director of the series is a man named Susumu Yamaguchi, um, and Yamaguchi is a sunrise guy, and I think you can, again, all the stuff about it being a kid's show, the main thing he did is that he worked on um, Sergeant Frog, or Keredo which is a kid's show in Japan, he directed a bunch of episodes for that, and then I think the big thing is he directed a bunch of the movies they made. Um, based on that property so so that's kind of where he came from he then also because he did a lot of direction for some Doraemon stuff and then he did eventually go on to be the director for the most recent Doraemon like movie um so the dude has done very well for himself in that space um he also had done work on other Gundam stuff I mean he it's the kind of guy who's like his fingers are in kind of like every pie at sunrise like he's just done key animation episode direction stuff like that for everything but the main thing that was more his like Projects that I could see, looking at his credits, is uh, Sergeant Frog, and so I think that's the clear reason why he was kind of moved onto Gundam Age to direct um, this series.
1: And yet, with all that history, Sean, one thing we still haven't talked about is the main conceit of this show. Yep, which I think is the coolest thing about it. One hundred percent. It yes. is Mobile Suit Gundam Age because it is a show that takes place over multiple time periods. You start with Flit Asano as a fifteen-year-old boy. The second arc is his son, Asamu as like a 17 and then later 18-year-old boy. Um, So that's 25, 30 years later. And then for the third arc, you move on to Asamu's son, Kyo. We won't be talking about that arc yet. That'll be next time. Um, But the show takes place over these three time periods. And people age and die. And the world moves on and changes. And that is one of the coolest conceits for any Gundam show I've ever seen, and frankly any TV show, and there are some um, like analogs to that in video games, um, so there's the Fire Emblem game, uh, Genealogy of the Holy War is how it's usually translated in English. That is a Fire Emblem that never came to the West, but it's the Super NES game, and it does the same thing, where the first half of the game, your protagonist um, is is in this war, and then the second half of the game is that protagonist's son many years later. Um, Fire Emblem, the GBA game, and its sequel do that. Um, the, the GBA game that we got over here was the prequel to a game called... The Blazing Blade or something like that. And that is where Roy Mm -hmm. comes from. And Roy is the son of the character in the original game. Um, And then Dragon Quest V does this with one character over a period of years. But I can't really think of... There's obviously no other Gundam show that does this. But this is a pretty unique idea for a show. And I think it's one that the show executes on very well. And I think if if Gundam Age is a show where you're struggling with it a little bit at the beginning make sure you get to the point where Flit's story ends and Awesome Moves begins because that's to me that jump is where Gundam Age goes
0: from an
1: interesting curio to something that I think is genuinely special
0: yeah 100% um it is the thing that and I had no idea about that that was like the premise of the show going into it when I recently watched it and that is where it absolutely clicks into place. I think is one of the things that I've enjoyed on rewatching is going in, knowing about where everything goes and like the overall arc and the later, like the successive protagonists and stuff and watching Flit's story, knowing where his character goes. Cause I think Flit is one of the most interesting characters in the entire franchise yes. specifically for this arc. You get to see him go on Um, and watching the stuff when he's a kid. Like there is a tragic quality to it. When you see this young boy, who's so full of, idealism and hope and you can see there's like so much potential in him and then you see him age up and he gets like bitter and he's full of hate and those things and so much about the show clicks into place when you get this generational jump and it is like the main conceit and motivating factor around what Gundam age is it's like the idea that Hino had about Gundam that he wanted to do was to kind of do this jump and kind of incorporate a lot of different elements from all of the original kind of tomino gundam stuff like you can identify elements from gundam age through to victory gundam like the most clear thing is obviously the design of the gundam age machines themselves are built off of the mobile City gundam zeta gundam and then we'll meet the one that is designed off of the double zeta um but also lots of like character ideas and themes and kind of compressing all of those into one maxi story for one show And for me, I think the the specific predecessor for this idea that probably inspired this idea is Jojo's Bizarre Adventure is designed this way. Um, So specifically parts one, two, and three of Jojo's. After that, part three takes place basically contemporary to when it was coming out in the manga. So after that, you kind of can't do the Descendant thing unless you wanted to do jojo's bizarre adventure in space which would be sick but i think also like a very different kind of series so that's where eventually it starts going to like alternate dimensions and stuff well sean jojolian i don't know if you heard is ending this month um the current
1: JoJo manga yeah it's it's finally after 10 years it's ending so maybe maybe
0: soon we'll get jojo's bizarre adventure dot 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 in space which would be fucking great it would be fucking amazing um but but parts one two and three specifically are the protagonist of part two is the grandson of the protagonist from part one. The protagonist of part three is the... Is he, is he is also the grandson then of the protagonist from part two. Um, you have Joseph, the protagonist from part two, is like a major character in part three. Um, and that was one of the things that when I watched Joseph's Bizarre Adventure hooked me on that show. And I watched that before I watched Gundam Age. Was that concept in like how cool it is and how interesting it is to see the show kind of refresh itself refresh its cast it almost reminds me of like the same feeling I get watching like Doctor Who and the way that that show kind of reinvents itself and gets to bring in new ideas and new characters and stuff um, with this frequency that kind of really helps the pacing and I think that's one of the reasons why Gundam Age of these shows that are the like you're just going one episode a week for a fucking year. I think overall gundam age has some of the best pacing of any of those kinds of shows because it is able to refresh itself um because you know mobile suit gundam gets it but mobile suit gundam also got cut short like seven episodes so it might have had a bunch of pacing issues in that closing phase like zeta gundam has all the weird stuff with with romery at the end um zeta gundam has it in pockets all over the place like with the moon stuff um, and then certainly you get stuff like Gundam Wing and Seed and Seed Destiny that just kind of flounder in terms of pacing and large stretches. And I really like with Gundam Age having this ability to reinvigorate itself periodically. Definitely like gives it this energy to it that once you're hit a certain point, you're like, I kind of feel like this arc is done. And then that arc is done, and now it's like now I'm with a new Gundam boy, and he's got new friends and. You get to get a different perspective on the old characters and then see the conflict develop. And it gives you this much different perspective on the central conflict at play in Gundam Age than you do with any conflict in any other individual Gundam series. Yeah, and I'll say we're covering the first
1: 28. I did go ahead and watch the next one
0: after that because I wanted to see Grandpa's
1: Gundam. Grandpa's Gundam. I wanted to see the jump and just so, like, so that I knew I wouldn't, like, have egg on my face if I said, I really like this show, just in case, like, I wanted to see the next arc. Like, does the next arc, like, get off to a bad start or
0: something? No, Grandpa's Gundam is yeah. fucking cool. And, it and is-, is the best episode title in this entire fucking franchise i love that fucking title so much it's like it feels like the show was made because they had the idea for that episode title it's like that's too good what if your grandpa was the dude who made the fucking gundam and you have an episode title called grandpa's gundam
1: Uh, 100% and then also as you say because the first the the gundam age one is based on the og gundam gundam age two is zeta gundam and then the three is the double zeta you know how much i love the double zeta i was very happy to see double zeta uh, gundam age style it's very very cool anyway but just we're not gonna be talking about that yet but just to say and you can probably tell us i mean is this i, I assume the second half does not like go off a cliff or anything no yeah um, I, I like the second half of the show from what i remember quite a bit so okay yeah so yeah just wanted to say that um and so so but at a minimum all of the turns from like one arc to the next i find really invigorating and compelling you know um mm-hmm. and and that second and, and i also like that like the first and second arcs end in very different ways they like go in very different directions um they just it feels like you kind of get a new show that is like a sequel it's in the same world but you get it one episode later you know it's yeah. it's a really cool feeling and and it's as you say makes for some really invigorating pacing in terms of these uh shows that are not in seasons but have to go for a full fucking year you know
0: yeah 100 percent. so i was when whenever we talked about Gundam stuff, I was very careful that I didn't want to mention the fact that there were multiple protagonists because I didn't want to spoil that uh, for myself uh, on the show. I'm curious, Jonathan, did you know about that in any way going in or was that like a surprise when all of a sudden it's not Flit and it's Asamu halfway through? No, I knew that. Yeah. Okay.
1: Because I knew, like, the arcs, if you look at, like, the episode list, the arcs are named after the characters, and, like, I, it's like the, it's the logline of the show. Like, I guess I just, since I've learned that this show existed, I knew that that was the basic conceit of it. I didn't know any of the other stuff. I didn't, I haven't known any spoilers beyond that, just, just that um, it would be about Flit and then his
0: son and then that son's son. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, because I have to say that I have a very vivid memory for myself of, like, being, like, Watching the next episode, and being like, wait, what? <laughs> like, excuse me, <laughs> because I had absolutely no idea. Like, did you be, oh, okay, oh, okay. And now Flit's got a goatee and he's voiced by Kakashi from fucking Naruto. Oh, which is also the narrator. Oh, okay. So that's what the show is. And like the, the moment when, like, I had that revela- revelation about what the show was, and like, that's fucking crazy. Which obviously, like, you know, at the time they were not disguising the fact. Um, you right. know, it's only if you're watching it years later and you're the only person you know um who is in anyway going to be someone who's gonna watch Gundam Age that you would go into it totally blind. But yeah.
1: Yeah, but like I I mean the show kind of I feel like plays its hand a little bit because like that first arc is very focused. You know, you start and once they get off of Nora I mean, right away, Captain Grudek is saying, like, I'm going to go, I've found the UE is here and we're going to go attack it. And they go and attack it. And it is like a very contained 15 episode arc. um And so I would have, like, if I were watching that, I would have been confused, like, what comes next because, like, this is such a, like, contained story. So it makes sense that there is another the age after this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that would have been, if I had no idea, that would have been funny. I, I probably would
0: have looked it up at one point. But yeah. Alright. So so let's then like dive into the meat of it, Jonathan. Where do you want to start with talking about Gundam Age? Well, I'll you know, so this is a show that uh unlike double O or something, I have not made
1: any like mini tweets or anything about. I've mentioned mm-hmm. a couple times, like when I started the show, I made a goofy tweet about how like because I did not know the level five connection. And so I started watching the show and I goes, Why does this look just like Yokai Watch? Like, which I have never watched Yokai Watch, but I'm aware of anime and so I know what yokai watch looks exactly. like
0: Exactly, like you can't possibly have
1: not seen a yokai watch character at some point right. in this day and age and so I was just like why does it look like this and then I looked it up and I'm like oh oh and then I read all of the history that you told us earlier Sean and I was fascinated um, and I did think like so when I started the show I watched the first three episodes in one night And I do think this has one of, if not the weakest starts of any Gundam show. I think the first three episodes, which are roughly like the equivalent of like the first two of Tomino Gundam, of like the Get Off of the Colony episodes, are just a very dry by the numbers sort of Gundam start. It's the same. Mm -hmm. I think Seed has the same problem of like it is so in, it, it is like so enthralled to like the Tomino story structure of how a Gundam show starts, of that somebody attacks and then a boy gets in a Gundam and they fight and then they get off the colony and the colony goes boom and then they you know like all of that stuff and I think it is just a very sort of like messy version of that where it doesn't do much to distinguish itself there's some little things in there I like like the whole idea of dragging the core of the colony out is the one cool mm-hmm. idea of that opening but I think it's a pretty rough opening overall that just feels like it's not very distinguished I think it, the definitely there is a little bit of like As a Gundam fan a little shock to the system Of like the character Designs and the tone and stuff is Much more aggressively kid friendly than Other Gundam and so like at This point now I think the character designs are fucking Awesome I really love the look of this show But at the very beginning I was a little Like taken aback by it because it is Not that Gundam has ever shied away from Characters having fun colored hair but like It is much more in the like Yu-Gi-Oh range of fun colored hair Than like Uh Gundam normally is Um, And so I just took a little while to adapt to that But I have to say Episode 4 is the one that starts with Wolf in the shower Talking about how much he loves himself And I laughed very hard at that And I went this show's got a little personality To it and then it just started to grow I think that first arc is not perfect I think they spend too long at that colony They wind up on where there's like the Hatfields and McCoys conflict going on Mm -hmm. But um, Overall like I started to really like the characters the show has a really nice sense of humor and personality that's totally unlike any other Gundam Um, and then I think the story and the world starts getting really interesting I would say that first arc really for me was like once you realize what Grudek is up to and that character that's when the show really starts clicking into place for me Mm -hmm. I think that first arc finishes incredibly strongly and then it makes the jump to Asamu and you basically get like Gundam's version of the great Siaman arc from Dragon Ball for a couple episodes there and I'm like this is actually really good and that's kind of where I am now where like this is not the best Gundam has ever been but god I I would feel really like bad if I looked at this and said not not good enough for me I really like this show
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and I think it is to go back to the after Gundam X comparison we made at like the very beginning of this episode um it 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 has that similar like kind of like chill vibe overall that yeah. After X has that I really love. I think part of what sets that for me is that I really, really adore. I don't think any of the openings live up to it after this one. But the first opening, which is Asue or For Tomorrow yes. by Galileo Galilei. Um, the, the Galileo, the man who dropped um, a bowling ball from the leading tower of Pisa. Because that's what historically happened when he invented gravity. Um, he also then lived for hundreds of years and wrote the song. Um, but it's such a great, super chill for a fucking opening and I love it so much. And as soon as I started watching the first episode is I was a little bit hesitant coming into Gundam age because I just like was kind of unsettled on my feelings on it because I just remember liking it, but not remembering a lot of details about it. And Coming in being like, and I know that like it's got a kind of bad reputation, and I then came to learn that like it bombed super hard in Japan. I mean, it is like by far the worst performing Gundam in Japan, even compared to something like After Gundam X. Like, this one bombs super hard. Um, so I came into it kind of knowing some of that stuff, and then as soon as that song starts playing, I'm like, no, this show is fucking fun, it's a good time, it's got a lot of that Saturday morning cartoon energy that was a little bit more like in that G Gundam space, but it also is much more of like a Gundam-ass Gundam than G Gundam is, which has a couple of Gundam-y kind of ideas with the environmentalism, but it's mostly just its own thing. Um, G
1: Gundam's main idea is that it's cool when giant robots dress up like different countries and quote different Hong Kong action movies. Like, I love G Gundam, but its aspirations are different.
0: (laughs) Yes, and I think Gundam Age strikes a cool balance to me of where you get some of that kind of fun and the like light humor and the sort of lightness of tone of a lot of it then merged with a much more like Gundam ass sensibility and I think that makes it that when you get to some of those darker places at the end of the arcs like it makes them I think really striking yes. to me because you have this contrast where you this is a show that both has the like you know another G Gundam reference the George DeSand esque character the like I'm the like knight loving honorable pretty boy which is here voiced by junichi suave who we talked about recently um on on hathaway and it's like that's such a kid show like anna kids anime type character archetype and you've got um don voyage which is an all-time great kids show character name yes. and his lackeys who have their catchphrase where don voyage will say something and they come in and say yes Don no you Tori is like, yes, just as the Don says. Um, and they have that whole dynamic. And then, like, five episodes later, Don Voyage sacrifices himself in that, like, d- fun, jokey, dumb catchphrase that you would see in, like, an episode of Pokemon is my reference point for, like, a Saturday morning Japanese anime kind of thing, um, which I don't think actually is Saturday morning, but is like, the Saturday morning cartoon concept uh, over here. Like, that kind of jokey line is then recontextualized as like this like diehard loyalty those guys have to don like that they will take with them like to their death aiding him in this attack and that's like the last time they say it and then they die and it's like there's something to me that is actually super effective about those two elements and i think there um i think there are ways in which in a different show it could be somewhat discordant having those but i actually find it particularly on rewatch When I know, like, more of, like, the bulk of what the show is doing. Like, especially around Flit, when you know where they're going to go with the character in Part 2 and stuff. Like, I think it's, like, highly synergistic. Those two elements contrasting each other and kind of building on each other throughout the show. Oh, I mean, like, this show
1: takes death more seriously than any AU Gundam. Maybe just than any AU Gundam other than, like, Uh 00. Like, I mean, because Seed... Seed does, but then Seed Destiny just brings everybody back to life and people survive nuclear explosions. Gundam Wing, death isn't really a concept in that. Uh, G Gundam, death... Well, death does does have it with Master Asia and it's great. But it's like, again, it's like Hong Kong action movie death, yeah. right? Um, like if there were a G Gundam 2, you would have Master Asia's twin brother come back. Um, uh-huh. Definitely. De- I'm 100% right about that. Yes. But like this show takes death really seriously and like just... If For some reason you haven't seen Gundam Age yet Just spoilers from here on out um, What they do with Wolf like, Is a phenomenal mm-hmm. example of this That again, that's the character who was the first time I really perked up and went I think I like this show Was him in the shower singing about how much he fucking loves himself Very much a kid's show archetype, right? Yes And then he becomes in the second arc The, like Obi-Wan Kenobi to Asamu um like a kind of a co- even cooler Obi-Wan Kenobi because he's you know got the fucking goatee and everything and like and and then he sacrifices himself and dies and it's one of the most moving moments in Gundam to me it's unbelievably beautiful and in honestly the end of the Asamu arc has a ton of stuff with death and like really impactful character deaths there's one with um Ruby Ruth or, or what is that her name what is it Ruth I the engineer girl yeah right yeah yeah,
0: yeah. I like only remember her is like she's the girl voiced by sakura Ida because there are so many characters in this that are voiced by voice actors that are like two or three years from like breaking super fucking big yeah. and it's really weird watching it now um because I mean literally like since I originally watched the show to now there's a bunch of voice actors that are like in bit parts. And now they're, like, huge. And Sakata Ina is one of them. Yeah. She voices that engineer girl.
1: But, yeah. but the engineer girl, Ruth, Master Sergeant Ruth, is, like, her death, I think, is of similar impact to me as, like, the the people at the end of uh, Gundam 00 Season 1, where, mm-hmm. like, you have the people on the ship who wind up dying. It's just... It, 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 this show really takes it seriously, but also has those comedic and, like, Chill vibes as you say Uh, And by the way I completely agree on Asue That is one of my favorite Gundam openings ever I adore that song I think the animation is great One of my favorite Gundam openings It'll be on our top ten next year Easy that's a shoe in Um, Uh But like I think it has all of that And then it has it has serious ideas It is very seriously Invested in world building The world building is simpler and in a more Sort of broad Register than some Gundam But it is serious about it it's much better at it than something like Gundam Wing, right? Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And and because of, and because it is able to synergistically, as you say, combine these different things. And I don't feel it ever gets discordant. And I don't think when it approaches death, it suddenly feels like a Tomino show where I go, I would never show this to someone under 10. It feels like this is a show that would introduce some of these ideas about death and sacrifice and some of the headier ideas here. I think it eases
0: kids into it in a very compelling way. Do you know what I mean? One hundred percent. Like the the thing, it honestly reminds me of a lot in that way. Not necessarily with the death thing, um, but but with like the way it's like eases you into these themes that are like important, I think, for kids to encounter. Um, which Gundam Age has both like death, and then it also has like empathy and seeing things from other people's perspective. It's like the core thing about the show, right? That yeah. the, what they're doing with the UE slash the Vegans, um, and it reminds me a lot of what Digimon does, specifically Digimon Adventure. Um, Which also is very much a kid's show Like more so than Gundam Age is Like it's aimed at an even younger demographic But that show like it starts very Silly and all fun and games and then Eventually it starts growing to a place where once you learn more About the characters it starts bringing in All these themes that are really Effective about Like divorce and so like Two of the main characters are brothers and their Parents are divorced and one of them Is with the mom one of them is with the dad And like that's a major character arc through that show and like i remember very vividly that being like my frame of reference when my best friend in elementary school his parents got divorced when we were like eight and like that was the thing that like i had encountered that was a concept Or similarly digimon adventure has themes around one of the characters is adopted and that like affects when he finds that out that affects a lot of his perception of his self and self-worth and stuff like that and similarly i had a good friend in elementary school the one that whenever we talk about like playstation stuff on the podcast i talk about going over to a friend's house to play stuff that friend that i played most of like the final fantasies and stuff with he was adopted and he found that out when he was like 10 or something and i remember being his friend when he found that out and digimon adventure being like this frame of reference i had because it dealt with those themes in a really mature way that was really accessible still to its target audience i think gundam age does something similar you can watch it and you can see that it has these much more kind of mature themes or like real themes built in there um but they are not designed in such a way that they would be inaccessible to kids in the way that certainly a zeta gundam or turn a or a lot of those shows which have like you know great themes and stuff but I can't imagine if you're like eight years old and you watch that show, you're not going to be able to get at it because it's hidden behind so much politics and all that other kind of stuff that makes the shows rich for an adult viewer, but like frustrating and boring for a young viewer. I think Gundam Age is able to get at those things that are very, in many ways, feel like very simple truths or very simple themes, um, but they are often so hard to portray because you have to portray them in this very, like, honest, earnest way to do them justice. And that's what makes like great kids entertainment, great kids entertainment. And that's what I think Gundam age is able to do so well. Absolutely. I think it's really important to just
1: say like at the outset of our overall Gundam age conversation, this is not a group of people like slumming it for like kids Mm -hmm. with Gundam. It is not Gundam like lowering itself and like debasing. It's it's, it's not SD Gundam. (laughs) I guess that's one way to say it. This is not like Gundam selling itself out to be like a little kids thing. Um, it is adults who are really interested, I think, in telling stories for children and telling them critically and effectively and movingly doing Gundam. It's the opposite. You know what I mean? It is not Gundam lowering itself. It's people who are interested in telling this story for this age group adapting Gundam to that thing, and I think doing it really beautifully.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a shame that, that it didn't wasn't successful when it was airing in terms of like a rating sense, because I do think like if it had was like a, maybe it was wrong time wrong place maybe it was marketing whatever it was like I think it's got the goods as a show there yeah. it just wasn't able to find the success that I think like the show deserves to have had yeah and you know
1: again like so let's talk do you want to start by just talking about the flit arc and like yeah all of that stuff yeah mm-hmm. because as I said you know I do think it has a a weak intro and it is and maybe if, like, if this was your first Gundam ever, you wouldn't feel that way. Um, it just felt very familiar to me. I also think, and and I don't know, how much had Hino had
0: experience writing for TV before this? Do you know? That's a very good question. I don't know if he worked in any way on... Because, like, other Level 5 things, like in Eleven had had TV adaptations. But I don't think he worked on those uh, you can continue talking and I think I can okay. bring up something that would tell me because what
1: I was going to say is it really does feel at the outset like a show written by people who are a little uncomfortable with TV format and I think they get good at it and I think they get really good at it pretty fast but those first three episodes in particular like one of the the only things I've tweeted about this show is that I felt like the first three episodes felt like cutscenes from a video game without the gameplay And I do think they kind of feel like that. Like it's, it's. um, I forget the character's name, but it's Flit's like adoptive grandpa telling him about the age system and like, it'll do all of these things, now go out and fight. And it really does feel like the dialogue that you would get from a supporting character in a game before you went out and did an action scene. Um, And I think the show has a little bit of pacing issues around that in the early going and just like a little unsureness of like how it's gonna move as a TV show. And I think it solves that pretty quickly. And I certainly think that by the time you get to the last six or seven episodes of Flitz arc, it's on very solid footing, but you can feel a little bit of growing pains for the medium where some of its video games roots shine through very hard, like the age system as initially introduced just totally feels like a video game mechanic. Yes. Um, and later on, I think they, they've adapted into something that feels more televisual, um, but I do think it takes a little bit of an, uh, of a, of an adjustment period
0: yeah I, I absolutely agree that that it and and it like and I think it does kind of click into place when you play the game that it does feel like it started from that place and looking through his credits, This was the first thing that he had done, like, certainly was the first thing that he was, like, the main writer on. Um, He maybe, like, it looks like he maybe wrote, like, a script or two for an episode here or there. But most of his credits on anime stuff before this point is more just, like, original story, planning, supervisor, that kind of thing, not actual script writer. And then after he did this, then it looks like he took charge and, like, did a lot more active Um, direction in series composition, that kind of stuff on Yo-Kai Watch and those things that came after this. But he didn't do a lot of direct work on most of the Inazum 11 things, certainly the ones that predate Gundam Age. So I think that you are identifying that, that it does, I think that's a pretty good read, that I think his roots as a writer are fundamentally in the world of video games. And like, that's, I think, why the opening feels so much like a video game is less because he was making it for the game. Because again, I think it should be stressed. It is not a thing where they were like, Trying to make both at the same time and give both equal weight from his perspective like everything you see of him talking about it The thing he specifically wanted to do was make the TV show And that is the thing that came first and had top priority and the game was the thing that was like based on the TV show But it was just in production at the same time, but the TV show was the main thing And so I think it is that thing of building in some of those ideas and systems um, In the world building and the kind of like the mechanic sense of how this is working Um, And having those ideas, but not, I think, I think he maybe struggles as a writer to find a way to sort of introduce them smoothly without relying overly much on the like formula of a Tomino no Gundam in the opening. Because yes, um, I think that opening is very slow. Um, It feels like almost kind of like perfunctory in a way. It's like, it feels like a thing that has to happen for the story to begin, but it doesn't feel like the heart of the series is kind of in it and in some ways i kind of feel that way also about the the um the whole feud the feud colony kind of uh section of the story which is better um but has a like has hardcore moon moon vibes you know it's very much like it's the... We did a, like, episode of Star Trek in Gundam kind of thing. Of, like, well, we land on the colony. And there's the two different groups. And there there this they're, there is importance to the overall themes. About that there has been wars between humans. And that those wars have consequences. And they stick around. Like, I do think you need some of those ideas here. But the show, like, languishes in that section for too long. It's um, too many episodes. And, I, I don't think yeah.
1: there's anything wrong with its conception or story or characters. Because you already mentioned... Don Voyage and, and his underlings and some of those characters who I really like and I think there's some Like I think Flit does a lot of coming into his own as a character mm-hmm. in this section um, And Emily too uh, the, some of their relationship is really good But it is too long it is too many episodes it as you say languishes there I think it's a good way to put it um, because it really does start to click into place after that um, I can just imagine a version of like the Flit arc that's 11 or 12 episodes but all the same yeah. story being much better
0: yeah, because the Flit arc is fifteen. Fl- the Flit arc is fifteen episodes, um, and then Asamu's is twelve. And it and it kind of feels like maybe that ratio should have been reversed. Like I think you could do a little bit more with Asimu and a little bit less with Flit. Um, and I think that the pacing would have maybe like worked a little bit better because I just think it, yeah. yeah, there's not as much space of stuff that you need to do with Flit there. Um, there are a couple of places. Um, that I do want to point out, like so, in between that kind of opening three episodes and then the Fardane is the name of the colony that they're on. Um, you've got, you have the White Wolf episode, which, as you've identified, Wolf Inyakol is just what a great fucking character. Um, I think we'll we'll do a deep dive into him in a little bit. But then you also have an episode I really like a lot, which is number five, Demon Boy or Ma Shonen, um where that's where you're introduced to Desil. And I think that's an episode that like is i think that's for me more even so than wolf's introduction that's where um i remember getting to this episode the first time i watched it and feeling like okay no there's like really something here because i th- think that character of Dessel, particularly when he's a little kid is super creepy and very like memorable and i think you kind of it it starts hinting at the darkness that gundam age has in it and like that other side of the show without fully diving into it yet um, and I do want to give a quick shout out to the voice actress that plays the kid Desel. Obviously, they replace her with a, a, like a guy when Desel ages up, but uh, the actress is Aihie uh, Takaga, Takagagi, um, who plays Desel. And we have heard her before because she is also felt in Double Gundam. And there are no two totally different wow. sounding voices <laughs> from an actress than little like evil new type boy Desel and like super nice very quiet. Um, kind of somber,, uh, you know, like communications officer felt. um I was very surprised when I saw that that that's who that actress was.
1: Yes, that's very funny. No, I, I actually agree that um it was the it was the introduction of Wolf that struck me in that episode. I don't think the white wolf episode itself is like a great episode. But Demon Boy, I think, is the first really strong episode Gundam Age has overall. and I agree. That one was definitely like a okay, this, this I'm interested in this now, definitely.
0: Yeah, and and is just such a like a good, awful fucking little yes. motherfucker. Um it's just that character that you love to hate kind of concept. Um, well and in the and early
1: going Like this show is so awash In mystery through the Flit arc because mm-hmm. we don't Know what the UE is and we Don't know what Dessel is and We don't know what these Like new type powers are and I do think another thing That I think is it makes The whole arc feel too Long is that we go it's not Until episode 15 that like We learn what the UE are it's Not until mm-hmm. I think it's not Until then that we learn What an X rounder is and Like we get all the Explanation of that stuff and I do think it maybe takes a Little too long for some of Those mysteries to come out In the open but I do like Some of that stuff as it goes along i think the demon boy one has has some good stuff in there
0: yeah absolutely do do we want to just like dive in and talk about a little bit of like the ue and how they're used in arc one because i think it's such like a fascinating piece of the show and and this was the thing that if you remember Jonathan before we watched a wakening of the trailblazer you asked me so this is the only time that alien stuff happens in gundam right and i gave like this very non-committal answer to that question because this is the exact thing I was thinking of. Like It's like, well, technically, yes. a of the Trailblazer is the only time that there are actual straight-up fucking aliens in Gundam. But Gundam Age, I think, plays with the idea of aliens in Gundam um, in such a cool way with the way they use what you'll come to know are the Vegans. But start out as the UE or the Unknown Enemy who are in these sick-ass fucking Digimon-looking dragon mobile suits, and they just come out of nowhere and are attacking colonies for reasons that the people find utterly inexplicable. They don't know who they are, where they come from. Their technology is, like, weirdly super advanced. Their ships just come out of weird, like, sort of invisible warp bullshit. Um, And so the whole first arc, which I agree, I think it's one of the things that it should have been a little bit shorter to tighten this up, but I think it's so fascinating that you go that entire arc basically having no idea who or what are these people fighting which is something that Gundam has not ever done before this point is is giving you something that is not giving you the enemy's perspective um at all like you don't have any real insight into it other than you get like flashes of Dessel but you don't know if he's a UE or what that side of the show is at all that's not confirmed until episode 13 or 14 yeah, absolutely. And and I, I yeah, I like it. I, I think, as I said, I think it takes a little too long
1: and I was and here's where you have to adjust that like this is not a show made for a twenty eight year old man. Because um, I was pretty sure early on that these were not actual aliens, just the way they were yes. talking about them and like that there are, they are mobile suits. We don't ever, and I feel like if they were aliens, we would see inside them at some point and all this stuff. So I was pretty sure there was a twist coming, but that's okay. That is not, I'm not saying that's a flaw in the show. I think that's fine. And I do think, exactly as you say, having an entire arc where you have basically the, what we later call the War of Bat extermination, which is one of the coolest fucking phrases in this whole franchise, uh-huh. um, that is this. Basically you know Grudek's entire plan is like we're gonna find out What the fuck they are and flush them out You know he's treating them like bats right Um, And I think that is a really cool Idea and as you say having one Where we are just completely Severed from their point of view And so we only have flits Is also so important to Where the show goes and what the show has to Say about point of view because that's Also kind of how the world works is sometimes We only have our own point of view you know um, and, and that is in the moment that is what Flit sees and that is what Flit has and I think it's really important to put us in Flit's mindset of these like mystery enemies who seemingly for no reason come out of the sky and kill his mother and kill his friends and for Grudek kill his entire family and all of this stuff. And that is obviously very important moving forward that we are in their POV so we understand some of what they have to say. Because if we just started this show with like episode one was about the Vegans and why they're angry... It would be very different because the Vegans have very good reason to be angry, you know? And once we see their point of view, their point of view is incredibly valid. And then you debate about methods, but their point of view is incredibly valid. And so I think it's important that the show maintain this sense of mystery that the main characters have. And I think it does a good job at that.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that's super cool about that whole dynamic is it, it allows Gundam to sort of play more specifically in like a super robot space than it has since G Gundam because the super robot like whole thing is traditionally like one of the major differences is that you are fighting aliens you're not fighting other humans like you can have real robot shows like Macross where you are fighting aliens um, but you can't really have a super robot show where the main enemy are other people like it's just like not really sort of congruous with the objectives of the genre. Um, And so doing this whole thing where you have your big transforming mobile suit that has, like, the parts come off and get onto it, which is a little bit like the original Gundam and, like, Double Zeta and some of that stuff where they're playing with that for the toys, Um, but here it feels more specifically it's echoing elements of the super robot genre, especially because that side of it gets completely de-emphasized once you get to Asimu and he only has the one upgrade, the double bullet thing from the age system. And it's way less super robot-y feeling in the way it's treated. He's not going and He doesn't have the big boxing fucking Gundam that has, does the laser fucking Lariat move, which is such a cool, like ridiculous <laughs> concept. Um, and, and so that being coupled with then you have these alien enemies and, and they really kind of commit to the, like, aesthetic and the vibe. Even when you find out that they are actually humans, they still commit to this, like, alien vibe with them. That they're called the Vegans. Which is such a, like, you know... It feels like they ripped it out of, like, a Godzilla movie that never got made. That those are the aliens that brought fucking King Ghidorah <laughs> are the Vegans. And they have these big, weird, normal suits with the big, rounded helmet. They're always in, like, harsh purple or red lighting um there's weird beeps and bops and noises that are always in the background of any scenes that take place with the vegans when they're like on the ship in the last episode of arc one and then also i adore so much their giant fuck off crazy weird looking star wars like freighter big battleships that just like warp in with the weird like rippling lightning space in the sound effect i think like that commitment to the vibe of a kaiju or like super sentai super robot like that kind of alien enemy thing think like rita repulsa in the power rangers it's that kind of idea i love how much they commit to that because i think it really is the show doubling down on these themes by playing with that genre to make you alienated from them especially from flit's point of view but but then also like kind of Coming up in your face and saying, It's like, but why? Like, why do you find them so repulsive? Like, why do they have to be exterminated? Like, why can their point of view not be considered as you see Flit go deeper and deeper into his cycle of like vengeance and hatred across the two parts we've watched? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's,
1: I mean, it plays with the whole idea of alienness, I think, in a really interesting way, where it starts as they are like super sentai aliens. They are literal aliens that you can kill and blow up to your heart's content because they are in no way human or real, right? And that's kind Mm -hmm. of the fun super robot kaiju sort of thing, right? And then when they are humans and they're, I mean, by in part two, they're very intensely human because of Zayhart and stuff they are still also alien coded in that they've been sent off to live on Mars and they have a very different technology and culture and all of this stuff. And so I think it has you sort of play in your head with the whole word alien, you know, and how mm-hmm. we, I mean, we use that word in actual English and in like foreign policy and stuff, right? Of these are foreign aliens and this kind of stuff, right? Um, yeah. And they're, they're not, they're other humans. And I know we don't mean space alien, but the word alien has a certain, it means unknown it means fundamentally different it has this connotation to it right um and i like the way it kind of pushes and pulls and plays with that um from when they are literal crazy space aliens you know who have no faces at all to when they are very human yet still alien and i think it walks that line very intelligently
0: yeah and then then obviously they'll like continue to develop that in the second half of the show because it's sort of it's as as they're peeling back more and more of that curtain going from utterly faceless ue unknown enemies to the vegans to you know learning more about them which is such a cool dynamic that the show is playing
1: with it also feels like a very um tomino gundam kind of idea in like the long term that like mm-hmm. off in space Space Noids will become Something different Right Yes Um, You certainly get to that When you get to like Crossbone Gundam and stuff Where we go off to Jupiter And see just Mm -hmm. how fucking weird Those Jupiter people are Um, That yeah Like if you go live off In space long enough You kind of are alien Right (laughs) Um, It's an interesting way To think about it And that like For the Vegans Earth isn't This like Convenient homeland It's It's literally Eden It is They keep using that term Especially as we get Through the second half Like it is This Promised paradise that they've never Glimpsed I kind of like that it's almost Biblical it's like the promised land you know
0: Yeah because they've had to live In a Martian fucking hellscape for God knows how long yeah yeah, a place That like you can just breathe And has trees and all that kind of shit Probably seems pretty nice Yes and I do like that like Part of why I think
1: I suspected the UE were not what they seemed is because They also call the government in this show The Federation Uh The Renpo and it's like well, that's never good. That's never... There's no incarnation of Gundam where the Federation is just like... It's a great government run by good people. <laughs> they're always hiding something. Yes,
0: they're... Yeah, they're always weird fucking backstabbers. And you do get, like, little intimations of that through part one. Where through Grudek, as he's investigating... Um, like, he straight up tells... I forget who he tells, but he tells a character at some point... Like, the Earth Federation knows what they are. Um, yes. and I And so, like it's clear that he knows that there's like something going on and he doesn't really, like mean, from his perspective, he doesn't care what they are. He just wants to kill them um, and get revenge. Um, but, but yeah, it's strongly, I think, I think you are meant to understand relatively early on that there's clearly something more to them that they're not just literal space aliens. Like down to in the first episode, when the idea of UE are being talked about on Nora, lots of characters contest the idea of like i don't know are they aliens I, that that seems weird um and it's only as you kind of get like into this crew that is like getting super committed to the idea specifically with grudek and flit that they just like insist they have to be humans like from flit's perspective or that they, they can't be humans from flit's perspective he like insists so hard that whether or not they are like technically biologically human he like needs them to be so alien that they commit inhuman acts right that that's in the way that we say like inhumane in english like he uses a similar terminology in japanese to refer to them as like they can't be people because what they do are not things that people do and he has to make them so othered yes
1: and it's it's one of those things where for me watching this that you're seeing it the second time for me watching mm-hmm. it the first time I really remember that line from Flit and I remember thinking to myself is this the show presenting a naive idea itself in saying that it you can only do these things if you are so inhuman or is it Flit being naive and we will come to see that and it's very 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 much the yes. latter it is the show is 100% aware that what Flit is saying is scary and wrong and that is a path that he is walking down and it is like Flit being like a cute yokai watch looking boy who's like you know this like strapping like fourteen year old with like blue cool blue hair and a cool
0: yellow jacket is a total Trojan horse for what uh-huh. that character actually is you know one hundred percent and yeah let's, let's let's dive into the Flitness of it all with this first arc because <laughs> I I think that Flit is just such a fantastic um character and part of it is that he he you know. As you say he strikes this very good like young like hero in a kid's show kind of thing um he's clearly like modeled lightly off of amuro he's got a little bit more of that kind of like engineering kind of thing that amuro likes to tinker and all that although flit is also presented more as like he's also the boy genius right because he's the one who makes the age system um well so he like makes the age builder the age system is something he inherits from his family um but you have all that and he's got his tragic backstory about his mother being killed and he's got his like and i need to become a savior because the gunnam is a savior and and so in part one i think they are like trying to present that very straight-facedly as like this is who this character is he wants to be a savior and his mission is like to fight the ue that are evil and they killed his mother um and i think that they do such a good job at like Even, you know, on first watch, I think you can see those signs very clearly that, oh, this show is playing with this. It's going to do something with these ideas. But it still, I think, does such a good job of making him likable and you really wanting to... You see so much potential in him as the other characters do. And, like, you have something in you. Like, there is something about you that you can change things. You brought these two sides together because you have this, like, clarity of action and that, like, uh, only a, a kid can have that's, that's bringing us together in this very Tomino protagonist way. Um, and then, as you see those things turn and get darker near the end of Flit's arc um, and his confrontations with Dessel, the loss of Yudin, like pushing him over the edge, and you seeing how deep that hate goes and that it is truly hate. I, and then, obviously, that you get the big time jump and you really see what has happened to him as he's grown older there's such a powerful sense of tragedy to his character here of of you wanting him to be the thing that he sees in himself um wanting him to be that savior that thing he's striving to be and being so sad that like nobody is there who's in a position that can set him straight because his role model is Grudek, who is on the same wavelength as flit and and they in fact have like the least amount of like friction between captain and Gundam pilot in like indie Gundam show because usually there's a lot of friction between those two roles and between Flit and Grudek very quickly they fall into a routine where they're like They are the two people on this ship that are fucking committed. When Grudex says, we are going in and I will go in on myself by myself. I have to, none of you have to come with me. Flit is the first person to volunteer. And he would have been the first person to volunteer in episode 13 as he would have been in episode one. Because he, that is the character he is. And seeing that, like, again, especially on rewatch when you know that this is what they're really doing with the character. It's really effective and very sad. It's a stretch of the show I'm actually excited to rewatch one day
1: Because for the exact reason you're saying Flit, everything about where he goes Makes me more excited to kind of go back one day And see where he was And reevaluate those episodes Because as you say, it's clear You can see watching it where this is Or you can at least intimate Where some of this is going to go But I do think one of the whole goals of Arc 1 Is to present the world on Flit's terms And Mm -hmm. show it to us Show the world to us through his eyes and so how he sees the UE why he becomes the way he becomes where that hate comes from and then when you switch perspectives he looks very different not just because it's 30 years later and he now has a sick ass beard and everything but because we're seeing him through another person's eyes and the world just is different through someone else's eyes you know um, Absolutely. And I think it does a really good job presenting that And I think yeah everything you said about Flit Totally true he it's it's a great Straddling that line of him Being like straight up This kind of character from this kind of show While also intimating that there's more To it that we're going to go with later um, I think the vocal performance by Toyonaga Toshiyuki as young Flit is phenomenal I think it's a really yes. really good character performance um, Obviously Inoue Kasuhiko As the adult Flit maybe will get More attention because it's cool and badass and everything but i think it's really key that we have that young version that is so full-throatedly performed and like articulated to us as any gundam boy is even though we're going to go with him through his entire life which makes him one of the most interesting and special gundam boys frankly because there's no other character we follow to this degree you know
0: yeah and and i do think it's key that they commit to him like the child version of flip so hard that like you can envision the alternate Gundam age that is just his story as being still a kid. And, and, like, you know, obviously not him, like, and it just being him being a hateful, like, vengeful motherfucker, but him growing and changing while still being in that traditional Gundam boy age range. Yeah. You can see that version of the character very much because, yeah, because uh, Toyonaga voices him so great. I want to shout out, that voice actor plays a character I love to death. Um, he plays Yu who's one of the main characters in the show called Do-da-da-da-da. Um, that Um, thats a big, like, ensemble kind of piece. Um, but he plays sort of a similar kind of character only, but that doesn't grow older, but a character that has kind of these different sides to him that on the face of it is very kind of warm and very kind of like normal protagonisty. but he's got a lot of darkness to him. Um, and I can feel a lot of like that performance in Flit, only it's a little bit younger and more earnest, but he's a really good, um, really good actor. And I think like he just knocks all this stuff out of the park particularly when you get those last couple of episodes and flit is so like truly desperate and like the the like combat like shouts and cries he gives are so like gut-wrenching you can feel how much that last stretch like truly haunts him um yeah. by the performance it's a it's a great performance for i think what the
1: halfway through the show at least is already one of my favorite gundam boys ever i yeah, uh, this they're they're on quite a roll here. This and Double O being back to back in terms of your main Gundam boys Setsuna and uh, and then Flit here are are two all timers definitely. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah. So and again, I, I think when I say you know the, the show presents the world through Flit's eyes and on his terms, that's where all the other stuff you're talking about comes from, Sean. Of like having it be a little more Super Robot because that's kind of the show he believes he's in, uh-huh. right? And I love that by the end, part of what makes the final couple episodes of the Flit arc feel like such a fucking gut punch is that he's not in that show. And we mm-hmm. were not watching that show And we were never in that show He was never going to be a savior Because that's impossible No Gundam boy has been a savior like that mm-hmm. You know, No one is able to thread that needle perfectly um, No one can thread that needle perfectly And people will die And it'll be messy And you're not going to be able to just stare your enemy in the eye And completely dehumanize them And feel no guilt for what you do And it's all going to fucking hurt And I think because the show starts As much more Starts as, like, something that looks like Yokai Watch, you know? Yes. You get to the end of it, and just of these 15 episodes, and it really... I remember finishing those 15 and just kind of, like... It's one of those shows where I sat and just kind of sat for a while after watching it, kind of thinking about what I'd watched, because it's its reasonably powerful stuff,
0: you know? Yeah, I think in particular, it's... I mean, so you have the death of and the but then that episode 15 where you get on the ship and you see and, like, you finally confront directly a ue and you know they're a ue and and you get the explanation of what they're doing and the fact that that like elicits no sympathy it elicits like nothing like the flit doesn't shoot them out of hesitation but you feel that like he he would have right like like you don't feel that he is able to sort of take a step towards him being able to accept and understand that there are there's another perspective out there and that maybe what he is doing could be wrong from a certain point of view um and and just seeing that and Grudek um his relentlessness and in his vengeance um i just think that that whole sequence is so striking where you finally get that reveal um, and but it like elicits no change in the characters you've been following, and it's just very tragic. I mean, with Grudick, it's particularly chilling because it yeah. he like
1: he's polite enough to let them finish talking, and then he murders them. You know, yes. and it's like, and there is no hesitation there, and. I, grudek is a phenomenal character let's mm-hmm. talk about grudek grudek also like the another after war gundam x parable is i think the character i might compare him to closest is partially because of character design is the captain from that show he yes good me old jameel neat Jamil neat great character um this is uh, grudek is a more morally compromised character in a lot of ways than jameel neat yeah. i know jameel neat in his backstory did very bad things but that's because he was forced into the gundam as a kid. Um, in the Amaro position mm-hmm. But yeah like like I-, I think Grudek is a great character Because he is uh, He's so complex He is a good guy who does super heroic things Like someone needed to go fight back against the UE Because the Federation is super corrupt and people were dying right yeah. Like he does something very heroic in rallying everyone But he does it for sort of fundamentally selfish revenge driven reasons And I think what is so great about that moment in episode 15 When he lets them finish talking And then murders the guy Is that he knows it's fucked up He 100% because he looks the kid Who winds up killing him later in the eye And says "Uh, yeah I did just kill your dad I did this because of this reason If you feel the need to seek me out in the future My name is Grudok Anwa Or Ainoa And you can seek me out right And like he he is someone who has like Lived with this pain for so long that he is very comfortable with his position in the world as someone who is morally compromised in acting on it and he knows that moral compromise is there and he's living with it and i think it is that's that really is the character that continually cues you into through this whole entire arc that Gundam Age's aspirations are a lot bigger than what it looks like at the beginning because mm-hmm. this is a very complicated character
0: yeah and and you just you have that whole early piece that i think is like that one piece that like kind of hooks you early on of him like you're not really sure what the fuck this dude's up to right so he he's he stops the um captain of the diva the ship who's like the proper captain of the diva who's going to just abandon the colony cuz it's like this isn't fucking my job um i don't follow these people's orders i follow the earth federation's orders let's just get out of here he stops them and in so doing saves everybody on that colony but then he continues to commit repeated acts acts of subterfuge that he is not discussing with anybody to keep himself in the position of captain up until the point where now he's going to go on this mission and he's like got a bought enough loyalty from everyone around him that now they're committed to that mission also in a way that they would not have been if like he came out after episode three and said yeah, so I gotta tell you guys, I'm not the captain of this ship. Like, hey, I did what I had to do to try to save everybody, but now we need to do the responsible thing. Let's I'll turn myself into the federation, like get you guys home. Um, he leverages that position of authority and holds on to it as much as he can in order to get himself in a position to be able to get his revenge. I think seeing those steps and specifically seeing them through Emily's eyes, who's the only character who has like seen that there's a there's a secret here that Grudek yeah. is protecting. Um, I think it's like a really compelling early phase of that story. Absolutely. Uh,
1: also a great performance by Hiroki Tochi, um, mm-hmm. who his first role in an anime ever was turn A Gundam. His small mm-hmm. role as Taruka. Um, but yes, anyway, uh, I think it's a really, really good vocal performance. It's a great character design. I mean, overall, I just have to shout out, this show has some of the best character designs in Gundam history. And like... It's really kind of a master class in character design because they have to do it three times. You know? They yes, have to redesign it's... every character, they have to design new characters. It's phenomenal on that level.
0: Yeah, there there is such a ridiculous number of characters in this show because we are only only can talk about two thirds of them or whatever. The the, the section yeah. that is just in this section of the show. And yes, like it's a lot of characters. And I think there's a little bit of that, as you talked about earlier, there's a little bit of like kind of shock to the system, because it's not what you'd expect from a Gundam show in terms of character design. But I agree that I think once you get used to it, there's a reason why level five has been super successful, right? It's like and one of the things is that they're very good and that that artist is incredibly good at making really striking, vibrant character designs that are very memorable. Uh, Takuzo Nagano. Um, so, yeah, I think that's like in full force here. Um, yeah. While getting, and you get a little bit more of those like Gundam touches. Like, uh, there's something about some of the character designs that you, you, they have the level five-iness to them, but you get that. Gundam edge or something to them that kind of makes them memorable totally like flit
1: still feels like recognizably like a Gundam hero you know Mm -hmm. even if he has been level five-ified in in that sense yeah it's like a more heightened version of what Gundam 00 does because Gundam 00 also has the like three-part character design structure where everyone is redesigned from season one to two and then two to the movie but obviously that's over a period of like five years not Mm -hmm. um an entire lifetime which is what they wind up doing here and that's kind of crazy and it doesn't have like you know heirs and ancestors and all this other stuff going on um it's it's it's, it's very well done and I think it's cool but yeah uh, Grudek with the, the fucking sideburns that go all the way down into a full beard it's great I, I love that look and uh, he's a he's a he's a fascinating character and his death in arc two is is one of I think the most interesting points in the show but we'll we'll talk about that in a bit Show! what other characters sort of we talked about flit we talked about Grudek. um in in part one uh, do we want to mention i think i think i'm a little curious and i'm curious if, if arc three changes my mind on this at all about the sort of role of the the sort of main female characters in this uh-huh. show because i like emily a lot and i think she's a good character within a certain archetype But then I was a little disappointed to see that Romery in Arc 2 is the exact same thing. And from what I've seen of Arc 3, it seems like it's the same thing again. But that seems like a weakness of the show. I don't know if Arc 3 changes my mind on that.
0: Yeah, I'll say that I think that is my biggest issue with the show. Um, And and this is, I think, another thing that it it kind of inherits from Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. is that It's like interested in having the female characters up to those female characters having babies. And then like... They're just kind of gone because particularly with like Emily is like such a major character in, in part one. Like Romaree like she's important to part two, but she's not like front and center a bunch of episodes. Like Emily's such a big part. Like so much of that first arc is about her trying to pull Flit away from the path he's walking on yes. and not being able to do it. Um, And so I remember particularly the first time I watched it being very disappointed that when you get the big time jump, she's like. Barely in it um and that and that like continues to be true that that when you do the time jumps the major female characters that are around a prior like pre time jump tend to just kind of get shuffled into the background in a way that i think is very disappointing i think it's like for me i think it's the biggest weakness that the show has yeah i mean that's jojo that happens in dragon
1: ball with the various uh-huh. women who become mothers uh, bulma gets saved from that a little bit because she's bulma but like uh, even then she, she gets backgrounded a little bit once trunks is around so yeah, it is disappointing, because I would expect Emily to have a more active role because Flit's the issues she is talking about with Flit in that first arc, they don't go away. They become bigger issues in his life as an adult. And I would love to see her as like an adult woman talking to her husband about this because I think it's an interesting dynamic. And I really like their chemistry as characters. And I think it's a really convincing coupling. In, in a way where like it's very archetypal, but it's well done. But yes, I was disappointed that she kind of drops out of the narrative, and then Romery for Asamu is kind of the same thing, but with even less character than Emily has.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a frustrating part of the show because it does feel like there's a lot of potential there. Because one thing that I do think is like interesting about the Emily thing, and I wish they kind of played with this a bit more is that i think there's a very like sad undercurrent to their relationship but you just don't get to see enough of it where for flit like i think that flit like my read of that character is that like he has he is like committed to yuri right like that in a way that's yeah. like you know because the obvious there's the parallel between flit and Amaro is very obvious and the most obvious place is there Um, in Amuro and Lala and the way that in Zeta Gundam Amuro is like stuck and can't move past where he's at partially because of the traumas he's experienced in the war and especially losing Lala and not just losing her but like during this like crazy new type mind meld and all of that that he can't have any of those like human connections anymore and he's lost all of that is so sad there's something even sadder in Gundam Age about Flit has had that and then he ends up in this just sort of obligatory relationship with the childhood friend character, right? Like, in because Emily is very much the Fraubo of part one of Gundam Age. And where in Mobile Suit Gundam, Fraubo is able to identify that really there's nothing for her in the relationship with Amro, especially long term, that like they have changed his people and she needs to move on. And Amro like can't move on from the place he's been stuck at with, with lala and fraubo ends up you know in what you know you can infer is like a good relationship with hayato and they have kids and all that stuff and Amra is kind of stuck emily is just ends up in this like obligatory relationship with the boy she had a crush on when she was like 10 and there's something very sad about that that i think the show is like doing intentionally but it doesn't play with it enough like it's there in the background that that there's something really tragic about these characters ending up having to hook up because that's just the way it works out rather than really kind of wanting to build a family together and that kind of stuff and i wish the show did more with it yeah i mean it's it's a big
1: part of part two and from what i've seen it will be a big part of part three that flit it's not that flit can't feel love and affection for other people he does love Asamu. He does love his grandson. When we get to Kyo, he would be very sad if they were blown up or something. But all of that is still filtered through his ultimate passion, which is exterminating the vegans. Right? Yes. Like all of his love for them and for anyone else, like and I think for Emily too, probably is is all filtered through that lens, and it is all a, a thing that he cannot push past and we see that here too like if he winds up with Emily it's it's a very default thing right because he it's nice to have a wife and kids at some point right but it is not something that is clearly like a passion for him and i do wonder if like some of these ideas are things that just i'm not sure how i would integrate them into a show aimed at this demographic there's some very you're getting into some very like heady adult ideas at a certain mm-hmm. point but i do agree that i think they could have done more with it Even if it was just something as simple as Emily still being present in arc two and I think probably especially arc three once we get there of being someone who continues to voice some of this thing she's voiced and maybe even has to come to terms with some of the decisions
0: um, in her life and in his that have led them to this point, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's a really interesting like character arc under there that we just don't get to see.
1: But in part one it works she is a great character mm-hmm. in part one I think of all the Frau Bows we've had over the years I think she's one of the more interesting ones And I like that it is an even more tragic version of Frau Bow Because as you say Frau has Hayato in, And not only that but like Tomino draws our attention very clearly to that Because there's that beautiful moment um, In the background of the, the battle near the end of the show Where Hayato is injured and he's in the med bay And Frau comes and talks to him And and, uh, hi, and hi, she and Hayato sort of bond over this moment of realizing that Amuro is gone he's not their friend really anymore he's beyond them and that's kind of the start of their relationship and you know she doesn't get to have that moment of realization emily and that makes her such a fascinating character
0: yeah yeah i really like her in part one a lot yeah and it's it's a thing that like just forms that backbone of so much because it is she is flits out like she is like the thing in his life that could pull him from the path he's on and, and she can't yeah absolutely where do we want right. to go next with all of this? What else in, in Arc 1 is there to talk about? I guess we didn't talk about Yurin yet, and she's very important. Yes, yes. we have Yurin, uh voiced, of course, we, as I mentioned, by Jaime Saudi, uh, who we talked about recently when we talked about Kimiso Yaiba, because she's also the voice of Shinobu. Um, they a much smaller role in this show, but I think also um, very impactful. She's just a very, very, very uh, talented actress. Um, and, and Yurin is our lala although kind of like with emily it's like an even sadder version of lala soon because you have like even though there's not a huge amount of screen time between her and flit there is much more of like a real person relationship you feel between her and flit you at least have like the big montage with that very gorgeous song that plays of them in like the forest while he's also planning um for like a month or whatever like their assault on the ue base i love then, that scene that scene is so good Yeah, and so you get this like real relationship and, you know, you get all the backstory of Yudin that she lost her family. She's kind of just been shipped around back and forth between people. She's ultimately been adopted by this guy on this colony and coincidentally runs into uh, Flit there. And then for her fate to be just like, she's just like. Put into the fucking new type, or in this case, X Rounder Grinder, and chewed up, and so much so that like she doesn't even pilot the mobile suit of her own will. She's just used as a weapon by Desiel, which feels like you know I don't know how intentional the commentary is but there is this sense of like commentary about Gundam's over-reliance on that specific character archetype whereas like now it's not even just like they're being manipulated or whatever this is like she is just ripped away and against her will used directly as a weapon and as like ornamentation as this like flowery Gundam for Desiel's mobile suit and there's something about that like the imagery and the construction of that narrative point that I find is like very powerful. Um that obviously that culminates in her Lala Sue esque death um that that you know rebounds throughout this the sequence and 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 affects Flip very directly. No, it's
1: very powerful and I agree completely that I I wouldn't be surprised if like that was on Hino's mind as like a very conscious commentary on where Gundam has evolved to because Lala is is still the gold standard for this because she's the most complex and fleshed out version of it right Mm -hmm. like lala is an adult woman who has made like decisions around this and there's a lot of manipulation around there too but like she is much more self-assured and like conscious of her own choices than uh yuri never gets to be right because Mm -hmm. yuri has these powers we i think we sense she doesn't fully understand um, like she knows they're there and she knows how to use them But she does not fully understand where they are Or what they come from or any of that kind of stuff And then as you say she is shoved into this Mobile suit she is thrown out basically Just to torture Flit right And mm-hmm. then Decile kills her Brutally and then it is Flit being broken by this And like it is the thing that, that kind of awakens Him to the brutality of all of this and it is the thing In his life that he cannot It's the ultimate, like, thing that he cannot uh, reconcile, right? It Mm -hmm. is the thing that there's, like, so little logic to all of it, to him, that it leads to him, like, the answer is you can only dehumanize the Vegans and exterminate them all. Um, And I think it's a a good use of that character type um, in Gundam. It's it's not the most memorable character character we've ever had, because there's been lots of good ones in this type. But I think in terms of its narrative use, really, really well done.
0: Yeah, and, and I do really like the the mobile suit they put her in. It's, like, so, like, memorable and striking, this, like, weird, it's so ornamental, this weird kind of pink flower that she's just in that, that Deshield kind of parades her around in. There's just something, like, vicious about giving the most tragic character the most, like, flowery, girly kind of mobile suit, like, generically girly yeah. mobile suit you could um, and just, like, dangling her in front of Flit. Um, Especially then it also being done By like this six year old little kid Desil like it's just such a You know you can understand why It hits Flit as hard as it does because It is like such a Fucked up scenario that that he Is in that, that he can't make sense of Yeah I mean it's it's
1: so Beyond fucked up and that whole time you're also Wondering like what the fuck is up With Desil right like yeah. this ki- Because I, and I feel like one version of this Is that you would hope Flit would have the why is this six-year-old kid doing this horrible thing? What is wrong with him? Not the, and now I am going to kill this six-year-old kid. But of course it, it's, it doesn't come to that because it is so brutal and immediate and overwhelming. Um, yeah, but it's, 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 a, it's a powerful part of this show. And I think it, the way it, I like that arc two takes its time in actually like bringing that up as like a conscious front of mind flit thing. It just relies on the viewer to know that this is in the back of his head, and I don't think he even says her name until very late in that arc, if I remember
0: correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have you have like a brief like flash he has when Deshill first shows up, but that's like yes. kind of some of the most they do with it. Yeah, but yeah, it's well done. Very, so, very good so, stuff.
1: So, so what else with with arc one? Anything before we maybe move
0: on and talk about the the second part of this show? Um, I guess like one thing I want to mention is that I think one of the things that in my recollection of the show I think I I gave short shrift to was um I kind of had always kind of just pigeonholed this show as having bad animation in my memory and I really think that that is not no. true um it I think it has like some bland animation here and there in like some like you know your like kind of average talking scenes and stuff like that it feels very stiff in those places but where they like in the big action sequences There's just some really phenomenal stuff here, Um, and you get a lot of it in Part 2 also, but the whole last couple of episodes of Part 1, I think, have some incredible action, and um, and just really well animated, and I particularly want to shout out the Gundam Age 1 Sparrow. Um, as being a particularly interesting mobile suit to watch be animated because they have the thrusters on the arms and legs of it and the motions it's able to make is this like crazy kind of space ninja Gundam design. Um, There's a lot of creativity in how they kind of stage those action sequences which I think kind of sets up where they kind of evolve their action direction into part two with Asemu that's a little bit more like the Sparrow stuff. Um, But when they like really put their back into some of that action stuff um gundam age is like quite good at that in a way that i don't know why i just like it did not stick in my memory that it had that i think the show has gotten pigeonholed in the fan base as having like bad animation or direction or whatever and that's like not at all true like i think it's like actually really fucking good yeah, I mean, if you hold it up to the
1: absolute best Gundam has done in this area, like Double O or Turn A Gundam or something, it's not on that level. But that is an unfair thing to hold it up to. It is really good when it's working, and and I think like overall, I think it's got an animation style that looks good most of the time to me. Like mm-hmm. I think even when it's sort of like there are because de- there are definitely this is a show that aired fifty weeks in one exact right. So like there are good moments and there are bad moments, but I think there's a certain like colorfulness and simplicity to the line work that tends to just work even when they're not doing a ton with it. And then I do think some of the animation is incredibly like fluid and impressive and well choreographed. And I think the climaxes of part one and part two both have some really, really impressive stuff that is not Again, it is not the best Gundam action ever. I would not put it up with the absolute best we've seen or talked about, but it's very good. We've seen a lot worse and a lot blander than this too, you know. Um, yeah. And I, I think this is this is definitely on the stronger side of overall Gundam action sequences. Um, and you know, even and some of it again takes some time getting used to. My initial reaction to the mobile suits, for instance, was that I thought they looked way too much like toys. And they do look more like toys than Gundams usually, or mobile suits usually do in this franchise. Mm-hmm. They are blocky and they are a little more solid in their colors. They have less shading on them, all of that. Sometimes I think they can look a little cheap or stupid in that way. But especially the more I get into it, I really kind of like the designs. I think the Gundam Age itself, 1, 2, and 3, are some of my favorite just mainline Gundam styles in the series. They're very colorful and bold, and they look really cool in motion. I think part of the blockiness and simplicity allows for very good animation, probably with a lower budget than something like... Well, certainly they would have had less time than something like Gundam 00, right? Because this was yes. not a two-season show. Um, but it gets to have a really high level of fluidity, probably in part because of the simplicity of that. And then I think, especially in Part 2, you start getting some mobile suits that are just damn good designs. Um, where I feel like they're coming into some real like uh, confidence on what they're doing here. And you see some of the like simplified, blockier, more angular design work that we get here there's a certain logic to it that does look really cool when it's when it's firing on all cylinders
0: yeah and there's at the end of part one there's a sequence I think is incredibly strong where um flit you know his Gundam's all fucked up and then they break off the arms and legs and put the Titus on there and he just like puts everything to max just like shoots out like light laser spikes out of every fucking spot on the gundam titus slams it through like the entire like front line of the ue goes to where like that big door is to the base and like forces it open and then what i think is like kind of a reference to the ending of ghost in the shell like pushes so hard that like the mechanical like muscles basically of the titus rip the gundam itself to pieces with the last shove as as flit like screams um, like there's some of that stuff that's like Just really strong Memorable well directed big Sequences like that that use Their mobile suit designs uh, super Well yes
1: absolutely I Felt bad in that scene That I had made fun of the Gundam Titus the First time I saw it because it is Goofy it is a yes, rock'em Sockam Gundam It is like uh-huh. it is rock'em sock'em Robot Gundam it's got these big Stupid like you know shoulders that are like Big and round and look like Almost like like Bionicles or something. Does anyone uh-huh. even know what that is anymore? The, these were Legos in the 2000s, kids. You can look it up. You'll know what I mean. Um, but like these very like round, almost like Lego Duplo kind of things. Uh-huh. But but you get that action sequence with it, and it's incredible. I mean, yeah, it's none of this is like again. It's it's a show that clearly has a lot of thought put into it. They're not doing this. For stupid reasons, and I think you see that in a scene like that. That I agree, uh, that made a huge impact on me. It is a very good action sequence, and a, and a great climax to Flit's arc in that first season. Yeah, or first—it's not season, but you know what I mean.
0: First arc. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So yeah. so yeah. So I guess let's let's move into arc two. Then talk a little bit about about my boy Asimu. Asano. This is where we get our first discovery that apparently the Flit like the male genes in the Osno family are incredibly weak because all of the Gundam boys look exactly like their mothers um, you know that that striking blue hair that Flit has that ends with him man that's that's super recessive or some shit I love the trend that, that the successive Gundam boys just look like their moms I think it's great and, and his sister right he has two children neither of whom like his daughter is just a clone of his wife then his son looks like a like you know a gender bent version of his wife, like it's just he there's (laughs) no flit Jeez, get passed
1: out at all it's great it is funny because like hair is one of those things that can come from your mother or your father like i look more like my mom and i have my mom's hair my brother looks way more like my dad and has more of my dad's hair from when he was younger um and I think that's kind of, fu- and, and so there's that clear split. Um, but yeah, the, they could have resolved that by having Asamu's sister look more like Flit, but they don't. You're right. Just those genes are very weak. Um, but man, I, as much as there's a lot I like in arc one, Sean, arc two is where it's at. This, yes. the Asamu arc is fucking great. And it is great from the very beginning. I was pretty blown away. That first episode, uh, Grandpa's Gundam great title i agree but i do think gundam in the stable is a good runner up that is also uh-huh. a great title and i love the whole idea that flit hides a fucking gundam in this horse stable and then gives it to his boy on his like 16th birthday or 17th birthday um but i think that entire setup for this this arc where you have you meet Asamu, they're living on this colony um and, and Asumu is going to school and he has his mobile suit club and all of this. And then he gets the Gundam uh, to protect because the Vegans come back and start attacking. And then there is this and there is this character Zehart who comes in and be, and is befriends Asumu but surreptitiously because he is actually a spy for the Vegans. Uh, and that is sort of how we start. And I, I made a, a little crack that this is kind of like the Great Saiyaman arc. Yes. And I do wish we had... In the early going like one more episode where you would play with that a little more because the whole idea of him being in high school and having these friends but he is also secretly the gundam pilot and everyone's wondering who's piloting the gundam even though it should be pretty obvious because they all know that his dad is flit and his dad built the gundam but still, I think it's a fun idea, and I also wish there was one more episode just to maybe do a little more with the Zahart Flit uh, awesome friendship at the beginning here. But that is, like, the biggest complaint I can muster, because I think this entire stretch of 13 episodes is
0: pretty top-shelf stuff. It's very, very good. Yes, yeah. Arc 2, this is my favorite section of Gundam Age. From what I remember of Arc 3, I like that also, but this is, like, to me, the thing that, like, stood out as being, man, this is just really great, um... For a lot of reasons. Like one of them being like, you know, we are both on record as the great Saiyan man being some of the best stuff in Dragon Ball. Like it's fucking yes. awesome. Um, so it definitely has hardcore great Saiyan man vibes. Um, but then also it's just I think it manages to both like evoke certain bits and pieces of other Gundam stuff. Like you definitely get a little bit of Zeta Gundam in there. Um and but you really strike, I think, a really new feel with Asimu as your protagonist and his whole arc of you know this is a gundam boy who's very definitively not the new type equivalent right like they call yes. them x-rounders here in gundam age that's just being a new type and that's just not a thing you know that's a thing in like spin-offs and in your ovas or whatever you'll have non-new type main characters but for like a mainline gundam thing if you're going to have a new type if you're going to have an innovator or a fucking coordinator, or seed factor, you know, whatever the fuck it is, um, the Gundam boy is going to be it, because he's the Gundam boy, right? Um, And if this was a show that only had the one Gundam boy, they would not do a Gundam boy who was not a new type, because it would be, I mean, it would be a cool story, but it would be a cool story mostly because of what you know about the rest of Gundam. It would be a weird story to do unto itself, because it's a little bit too meta of... A concept i think to support its own tv show but having this arc in the middle where you have your main character trying to live up to the protagonist of the previous show that is also his dad who also now is voiced by kakashi from naruto and you're like well fuck now he's super cool he's got a beard um and he's a new type man um and trying to live up to that while also dealing with your adolescent feelings of jealousy and everything because asamu I don't know if I because I think no Austin is definitely he's like two years older than what Flit is because he's yeah. like graduating high school well so and even older little, when you get to the main bulk of it because he's 17
1: in those first couple episodes then he's 18 Flit is 14 so he is yeah. definitively like he is much more of an adult a young adult but an adult whereas Flit was a boy
0: yeah, and so he's dealing more directly with the, like that kind of messy adolescence thing of he's got like these feelings for Romery, he's also got his friendship to Zehart, and there's this weird love triangle, and he's got like all these like kind of complex, very like teenagery, you know, feelings going on um, that he's trying to resolve. And I just think it's 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 like one of the things that the Gundam Age structure justifies itself so well by you can only have a character like Asumu as a protagonist because Gundam Age is structured the way it is, and it just gives you this really unique, really cool Gundam story in the middle of this show. Yeah, this is where the method of the show's madness
1: comes into view, because this second arc just feels so different than the first one while still being of a piece. And I think it's uh-huh. such a cool needle they thread where Asumu is a really different character, and the stories that you get around him wind up being very different than what you got with Flit, but it is still a really strong continuation of that overall story of this world, and Flit still has a presence here and has a really good arc going on as well. Um, I just think that's like, you know, the, the conceit itself of having these three protagonists over time is cool, but the conceit doesn't amount to much if you don't do something with it. And I think Asamu yeah. as a character is them doing something really good with it because they start, I think, in a strong place where Asamu just immediately in that first episode distinguishes himself. Like, like Asamu's a cool kid. He's not like the biggest man on campus, but like he's got friends and his friends think he's cool and he's clearly like handsome and Romery has a crush on him and all this stuff. Um, whereas Flit was like this
0: nerd in the closet with all of his Gundams and stuff, right? Um, Yeah, And and Flit also has this Like intense trauma from his childhood That of the death of his mother That he is sort of trapped by Whereas Asumu has lived in like Pretty significant privilege Right like his dad um, Is like the most famous dude In the Federation right like he's the guy Who piloted the fucking Gundam And now he's like the commander of the Big Ring or whatever and all this stuff Um, Obviously his family is very wealthy They live on like a giant plot of land In a mansion on this fucking colony Um right. so he's living a very different life than you saw flit have when he was a kid which means that his problems are very different and I yeah. like
1: that his arc is so like internal in this sense of it is the whole question for awesome through these 13 episodes is what are you fighting for and are you just fighting to compete with your father are you fighting to compete with Zehart? or are you fighting for yourself? And he's looking for these answers. And I think within these 13 episodes, like I I know it's not a season, but it feels like just a great season of anime in that it starts with these questions and it ends with a really powerful answer to them in how he overcomes these problems um, and is able to let go of trying to be an X-Rounder, of trying to be a new type, and that we wind up at a place where he's okay with not being that thing is such a cool story for Gundam to tell. And it's a story, yeah. as you say, you could never tell this if you started with Asamu Because you have to have that background with Flit. You have to have seen Flit. I mean, you could try it. I just don't think it would have anywhere near as much power as it does here. Um, and it's, it's such a great character. It's such a good, concentrated story they tell here. You could easily make a full, I feel like, 50-episode Gundam show out of the story they set up in these 13 episodes where you have like the fucking lion king 2 plot where they're from different families um but they really love each other zayhart and
0: asamu but they keep having to fight i don't know why lion king 2 is is my go-to on that we also have this other thing that we watched called gundam seed that you could just reference for that one Jonathan?
1: i guess so i feel like it's i feel like it's a little more tightly drawn here because the thing in gundam seed is that they're both coordinators right so Mm -hmm. like they already kind of, like I mean Kira's C- C- place is a little confused in that world In Gundam Seed and that's part of the point of it Like I like that it is that stark Like a little more kid friendly like thing they're doing Here with with Asamu and Zayhart where like They want to be friends so bad but Damn it one of them's a vegan and one of them's a Human and what do we do about this um, And I think as this kind of like Kid pop entertainment goes it's such a good Version of that
0: Yeah 100% um, so, so I mean with Asimu I want to like shout out that we have um kid asumu who's just the only awesome we've seen in this these two arcs is voiced by ego chitakia which i just i particularly want to shout out also for it to say he fucking knocks out of the park um he also i think his best performance if people want to see something else he's done the protagonist for in a show called Ore gaidu or my teen romantic comedy snafu the english title is fucking awful um, but it is a great, like, it is an A++ plus great, great, great show. Um, he is the main character, Hashiman, in that. But also we have now, between Hana Inatsuki and Kimetsu no Yaiba, Ono Kensho in Hathaway, and now Eguchi Taki we have completed the trinity of the Shadow Game Uno um, <laughs> voice actors on the YouTube videos. So, So now we've got, now all three of them have been um you know they're not all Gundam boys because Hanai Natsuki hasn't been a Gundam boy but they're all stars of different episodes of Weekly Suit Gundam discussed shows so we're there yes absolutely um it's a, it's a great performance
1: it's another great character design I love I know that we made it the joke about how he looks like his mom but I do love like this specific hairstyle they give him and how he has like one part of his head a little shaved um and and like he's a very different looking character than Flit which I think helps me make him feel distinct there's stuff they do like when he gets in the Gundam Even the, the, the age one That he starts yes. with because he doesn't get to age two Until later he fights totally differently And yes. I think that's such a That's something in that first episode the Gundam in the stable That really sold me on this is that when he gets In the the Gundam age He pulls out the beams and he's very like Melee focused and he's kind of scrappy And I'm like this is such a Different character and it really sold me On that concept and I think it's something they're very Good at working with
0: Yeah I think it like immediately highlights the the skill of the direction in the action choreography and animation is how clearly different asamu and flit are in their fighting styles right like flit is very like technical and intellectual with how he fights like he comes up with plans um he comes up with strategies and tries to execute them and then there are those things are enhanced by his x-rounder powers but he's like inherently someone who likes to like take things very logically whereas like asamu even though he's not an x-rounder he's like a very instinctive kind of fighter and he goes by like what feels right and he's very fluid and he's very tricky and yeah you get that immediately uh in the first episode of this arc and then i think in those first couple of episodes where he gets those fights at the gun of age one on the ground in that colony like that's just some great mobile suit action where you get such a good sense of weight from what they do there because especially you know, Gundam Age had basically only done mobile suit battles in space up to that point, more or less. You have a couple of, like, the little things on the colony with, like, the um, Civil War or whatever. But those are, like, pretty brief fight scenes. The big fights in Gundam Age 1 are all just in space. Here you get these grounded mobile suit fights that they're really, like, putting a lot of emphasis on in the episode. And the way that, like, he's hiding in the smoke and the way that the Gundam Age 1 is, like, drawn more exaggerated with, like, really heavy shadows in some of those shots um to make it sort of more kind of intimidating in a way with it, how fast he's moving it and how kind of unpredictable he's piloting the gundam um and then he i think the thing i love about the arc is that he loses some of that in the middle where he's trying to be a lot more like his dad and get that x-rounder stuff and then he starts to pick it back up again once he gets the gundam h2 like double bullet and then at the end when he fully commits to being the super pilot asamu oh. asano um now he like recaptures that energy he had at the beginning of those fights and he's just super tricky and mobile and all over the place and using things in unpredictable ways um and the way like i think it just highlights how strong the direction and animation is that they're able to communicate so much character through the action um with these two people yeah
1: the, a couple things on that the age 2 double bullet. Is fucking phenomenal. Yes, one of my favorite Gundam designs. I love it to death. I love how it does. It takes some stuff from I feel like uh, like the 00 Gundam, where it's got those uh-huh. like big beams that like come out in all directions. But it's so in sync with like what his fighting style is, Asamu, that it just feels like they're able to build some really cool action sequences around it that also feel very true to his character. And then the ultimate payoff when. When Wolf dies and tells him They have that whole It really comes into focus in those final episodes Where Wolf keeps telling him like You you shouldn't be trying to be your dad Be yourself Be." And I love that It's such a I love how they build up Wolf's character Maybe we'll talk about him in a minute But his whole thing of telling him like Be a super pilot Asamu Asano And then when Wolf dies And he turns on Desil And he has that line about like I'm the super pilot Asamu Asano And he just goes fucking ape shit on him and Using exactly the kind of fighting style you're talking about That's maybe my favorite moment in the show so far. Mm -hmm. That is a phenomenal synthesis of Gundam action and storytelling and character work and mobile suit design.
0: Ah, beautiful. Love it. Yeah, it's just such strong... it's, It's like, yeah, it's just like the pinnacle of like every piece of the show is working so well. All the writing has worked to build up to this moment. And then all like the visual elements of the direction and animation are paying off like that because it's it's like they're being able to pay off that character arc in a way that is so visual um that's so satisfying that it's not relying entirely just on like the dialogue being self-referential and showing the growth it's also you feel the growth in the way the character moves and animates in his mobile suit Um, just great 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 stuff because there's some moments in the second arc where
1: i notice like the action would feel a little stiff in some parts Where you would have some of the mobile suits Just standing and kind of shooting at each other And sometimes I think it is There's some moments that are just stiff Because the show isn't perfect But there are also somewhere As you say Asamu is trying to do these things But like His style is not Stand still and aim at the enemy And wait for them to get into position and shoot That's not who he is yeah. so of course it feels unnatural and stiff And they're kind of like Highlighting that for us You know So that when The climax is him being as non- stiff as it is possible for a robot to be mm-hmm. moving and flying around and zipping around and firing all these lasers and stuff um it's the coolest thing and it feels like so true to
0: himself and it feels like a release and a culmination in such a good way yeah absolutely so so, so let's let's talk about wolf since we just brought him up a yeah. bunch um, and because we didn't really talk about him in part one I think because the, you know, he's cool in part one, but part two is where Wolf really shines. Um, he's he's voiced by a voice actor I really adore, Ono Daisuke, um, who's probably best known for being uh, Josuke. He's the, the, if you think of a JoJo from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, that's the JoJo that he plays as the main JoJo from part three, who's also in part four or five, and I know he's also in six. Um, and so he's also in like a bunch of stuff, um, but that's like kind of the big thing he's known from. Um, but he just, fucking knocks out of the park uh, because he both has to play um wolf as a very young you know hot shot pilot and then also play him as like the grizzled veteran mentor but keep all of like the energy and the humor and the lightness of the character alive in both of those incarnations and i think he just like such nails it um, that that as soon as wolf comes back and he's got these big fuck off mutton chops and you're like there he is. You like hear his voices like there's my boy, there's the super pilot Wolf. Um again, it's just so well done. Again, he is another synecdoche for what makes this show so special because
1: you look at him in part one and he is Tom Cruise in Top Gun. He thinks he is yeah. the hottest shit in the world. Um he's in very homoerotic competition with everyone around him <laughs> in a very <laughs> Top Gun sort of way. Um, you know, and, and he is he's very good at what he does But I do like that his arc in part one is a little Bit of humility right that he does kind of Learn that to, to lean on Flit as someone who is a genuinely better pilot Than he is right mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. they learn to get Along as like friends and companions and And I was gonna say co-workers but like co-soldiers You know soldiers in a unit together And then you come back 25 years Later for part two and he has Lived a fucking life and he has He is still he's one of the best pilots in the world But he is like He's flashy and everything but he's fundamentally a much more humble person because Mm -hmm. he's a teacher now and he's a leader and he's a really good leader and I love that we see that he's grown into that that he is someone who's really good at like inspiring his units and teaching them and bringing out the best of them he's still got all that personality that makes him the person he is but the best of him has really been kind of brought forward Um, and that relationship with Asamu he has is so strong and so powerful and I was genuinely shocked when we get to the point where they kill him because this show had done some stuff with death so far, but it hadn't gone that far. Like he's a, one of our most major characters at this point. Right. Um, but they straight up kill him and his death scene is very brutal and dramatic and it is beautifully performed. I I agree. The vocal performance is fantastic and the effect it has on Asamu is so great. And again, that you can have this character who across these two, two parts so far reflects one thing on flit but then winds up really being in the story for Asamu and reflecting something very different with him there's no other gundam show that's able to do something quite like that because you don't have these big time jumps and different protagonists and all this stuff it's a really special dynamic
0: yeah and i think it's I i think one of the things that's most interesting about his role in part two is is how it kind of i think makes you see flit in in different ways like like Mm -hmm. the fact that he is able to be not just a mentor but like so much more of like a father in an active presence in asami's life than flit is um and that like flit doesn't even like try to see his son in any way like he doesn't seem to care to look at things from awesome perspective i mean seeing things from other people's perspectives is by far flits uh the biggest weakness in the world is that he just cannot do it he cannot put himself in anyone else's shoes um even if he loved it because you do get the sense that he loves and cares for his son but he just doesn't know how to relate to him in any way and then wolf trying to find a way to like you know that i don't think wolf wants to be a replacement father but like he needs to be like this mentor figure in in something that can kind of check asumu and be a presence for him as awesome is going through this really difficult time in his life and i just think the way that they navigate that it's like not a r- original character dynamic like you've seen that in a bunch of stuff the like you know it's it's the very stern father and then like the fun crazy uncle is like the generic archetype you're kind of playing with there but I think it's done so deftly here especially because as you say you have this pre-existing relationship with both these characters you have already seen both wolf and flit have an entire character arc with each other in their own story and now you're revisiting both these characters 25 years later and the way in which it kind of makes you reconsider both of them and their personalities and their roles um it's just really good
1: well and just stuff like You talk about the deftness of it, the deftness of writing Wolf in such a way that his egocentrism and arrogance in part one gets shifted in part two to now it is something he does not use to build himself up, but he uses to build up other people. Yes. And it becomes something that he uses to inspire others because his sense of self is okay now. He's an adult who like... He does not need to boost himself He's okay he's comfortable in his own skin But he can give that to Asamu And the other pilots in his unit and that's why he's So beloved um, And then the touch in the final episode of the Asamu arc that Asamu has a white Gundam now uh-huh. um, I think I shed a single fucking tear when I realized What they were doing with that because that is Awesome and beautiful and It's something they don't even draw attention to It's there visually and you can pick up on it if you want But it is a it is a really deft Little character touch that they do and I love it
0: yeah, and it, and it, the way it highlights that, like, you know, that, because I, I think it, it's like, it's that thing of where Asumu gets to walk his own path, but walking your own path doesn't mean it's, like, removed from the people who inspire you. He just found someone much better to inspire him than his own father. It's right? like
1: Gohan wearing Piccolo's gi in Dragon exactly. Ball, right? Gohan doesn't, Goku's a terrible father. Goku's a much worse father than Asumu, or than yeah. Flint. it's <laughs> but Piccolo's a great
0: dad wolf is much like piccolo he's a good space daddy exactly very good space daddy like one other thing i really like about wolf's role is you have the you have the whole like crew right so you get much more of a sense of like this is a military outfit that asamu is a part of i mean he like properly joins the military in a way yes. that like flit never really does in part one um, partially because, you know, eventually he finds out, oh, the the captain I'm working for also happens to be a fugitive. And we have to, like, openly defy the Earth Federation to, to accomplish our goals. Um, and I really love, particularly those early episodes of them on, like, establishing the, the like, unit dynamic. That you have O'Bright, who's, like, the one guy who's served with Wolf before, who's, like, you know, a little bit higher rank than everybody else, but is, like, still relatively green but has been, like, out there more than the other, like, the new recruits. And I love that, like, whole dynamic and what Wolf brings to it. I love, like, the subtle ways in which you feel there's this pre-existing camaraderie between him and O'Bright that then you're starting to build now with the other new members of the team. It's just, like, really effective, compelling kind of military drama that, like, weirdly enough, as much of, like, a military series as Gundam is, you don't get that dynamic that much, really, in this franchise the way you do in the in part two. That's a little bit more like a Vietnam movie or something like that.
1: Well, because like in original Mobile Suit Gundam, which becomes the archetype that a lot of the other shows follow, it's this ragtag bunch of amateurs who come together and develop some of that, but it takes time. That's what part one of this show is doing. It's what most Gundam shows do following kind of the example of the original Gundam. This is, as you say, we're following a character who has actually enlisted in the military and is on a mission, you know?
0: Yes, and of, like, his own volition that he didn't need to. Like, there's no necessity for him to join the military. He, like, actively chooses to do it. Yeah.
1: And as you say, I mean, a lot of this, as you say, is stuff that plenty of other shows have done. The idea of, like, the son of the famous soldier who goes into the the military or the hero business but doesn't know quite why and has to come out of his father's shadow. This is popular, well-trod ground, especially, I think, for stories pitched at kind of this age range. This is just a really fucking well-done version of it, and it's, you know, it, however many times the story has been told, if you tell it well, there's a reason to tell it again, and this tells yeah. it very well. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, other major characters here. Do, do we want to jump over and talk about Zayhart, who is our other, like, big pillar of this arc of the show?
0: Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about Zayhart. I love how much, like, he just... You know, he's a fucking Kingdom Hearts character. Like, you just can't get past <laughs> it with that name. You know, he's like, what is it, Organization Thirteen or whatever? Like, it's just the way he looks. This fucking name, Zay Hearts, Well, Hearts it's Xehanort in uh, yes. Kingdom Hearts. So Xehanort versus Zayhart, yes, yes, um, yes. But, but we have Zayhart, who is our, uh, you know, vegan character. Who's like, you know, he's sort of a co-protagonist. He's put like nominally in the the char role, although he's. A, I think he occupies the shard spot a little bit more comfortably than a lot of like our guys who just wear a mask and are a rival pilot and so they just like kind of are some kind of shard say not exactly like Shar, but i think he occupies like a little bit more of that role of giving you this insight and perspective into the other side and like what the war looks like from their perspective um and and that's like It's just like The key dynamic Of this whole part Right Is that right. you are now Getting insight And given active access To characters And in internality From the vegan perspective In the guise of a character Like Zayhart Who I think is like Immediately and immensely Likeable because of, like, how he's written, how well he's performed by Hiroshi Kamiya, um, now a Gundam veteran coming off of 00 Gundam, I'm now here again, because he's like, I, I played a Gundam pilot, now you got to make me a Char. So I'm going to come back for the next show, and I'm going to be the Char of that one, okay? i got to check off both of the the boxes on my fucking
1: list. I know Hiroshi Kamiya is, is your boy. You named him. Yes. Didn't you say he was the best voice actor of the last decade? Yes. Yeah, I will stand and, by that. He's great. I, I love him, too. I... It finally hit me this time For whatever reason I had not made the connection That he is Trafalgar Law In One Piece Even though I fucking mm. love that voice He is so He is so If you've never seen Like a Trafalgar Law clip Sean you should look it up I should There's a key scene With Trafalgar I should send you Because it's so good But like um, He's great in that role And it's a He makes his voice A little deeper than it is Like here or in Double uh, O Gundam But he is such a Tremendous voice actor And uh Once I realized, I'm like, that's Tyria, which is also Trafalgar, and they're using him here as Zayhart, and this is another great performance from him. Yeah, you cannot go wrong with Hiroshi Kamiya. It's a great character. And, you know, the key dynamic here is that, you know, Asamu does not have the option of being flit and refusing to see the other side's point Uh of view. Because Zayhart was his buddy through all of high school. And so, from moment one, as soon as, like, as soon as he sees Zayhart in the other mobile suit... There is no way for him to just turn off that part of his brain that says that was my friend and I don't want to kill him. And he tries to do it and Zayhart tries to do it, but neither of them can. And again, this is not an uncommon dynamic. The Lion King 2 did it. Lots of other stories have done this. I don't know why Lion King 2 is my touch point. It is also for kids, I guess. But like, this is a really well done version of it and done with, I think, the sensitivity and depth that you would expect of this show at this point,
0: but also just Gundam in general. Yeah. I think there's something I like, especially with Zayhart, of, like, they don't shy away from Zayhart just being, like, demonstrably much more effective than Asimu for almost the entirety of this arc. Like, Asimu gets defeated by Zayhart, like, three or four times, just straight up, he loses. Um, And there's something I love so much about Zayhart that, like... No matter how many times he goes out there being like, and this time I'm going to kill the Gundam. And then he gets directly to the position where the Gundam is disabled. It's fucking been slammed into the side of a comet, which is an amazing fucking shot in sequence. And he's standing over it with a fucking beam rifle to its head. He still can't bring himself to do it. And I think there's just something I love about his character that like, you feel that warmth and kindness and compassion, which is like the thing that animates him in all aspects right like it's the reason why he's so committed to the vegan cause is because you know he has this mission to bring everybody home to earth and he believes in it with his whole heart and i think even though so far we haven't seen like a lot about like the conditions of mars directly and we haven't seen like what's motivating that and all of those things from his backstory you can infer so much about how severe things must be because i feel like you have so much faith in this character to be doing the right thing that you know he has such good reasons and he treats everybody both on the enemy side and on his own side with like so much respect and care and kindness even people like Dessel who don't really deserve it like he always gives people a second chance and is always like willing to see them and it's like and he is kind of i think the character so far who like has demonstrated the greatest amount of empathy of any character we've seen in the show even if he's still that doesn't deter him from his mission and you know killing earthlings and shit like that to try to bring them to earth like he understands why the earth people are doing what they're doing he understands the cost that is being paid and like accepts it um but he's still willing to go forward and i just think it's like such a cool character it's such a pivotal character to have that dynamic especially at this point in the show
1: and this is the main thing that separates him from uh-huh. Char to me is because like I, I you know Char like let's say in Char's counterattack Char's you know got the plan to you know drop the asteroid and everything and he knows i think he knows intellectually that killing all those people is bad he says that you know amuro i'm doing such a wicked thing all of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. i don't think Char really feels it like i don't yeah. think Char is capable of that kind of like deep Overwhelming empathy. If he was, he'd be a new type, and he isn't. You know, um, he can never be at that level of Amuro. Um, and, and I think Zehart really is capable of all of that. And I think you, exactly as you just said, you get the sense of like, man, things on Mars are bad. And he also has had this vision from Kant which at this point we don't know what Ezelkant's specific motivations are, or whether that's real or any of that. Um, I suspect he's up to no good, but we'll see. We'll su- see what happens. But like. Zayhard has good reason for doing what he's doing and it doesn't necessarily make him right because I don't know if anyone on this show is 100% right that's part of what it's saying but like as you say it is it is something where it is not just that we empathize with him but that he does extend empathy empathy to other people too um, and when you get to that stuff at the end of of this arc where he and and uh, awesome we wind up working together to stop the the big ship from dropping onto earth. I love that there's no hesitation there from him. Yes. There's no like there's no like an awesome I'm going to kill you when we're done with this. It's that no, it's good you're here. We need help. We're going to do this. I'm not going to destroy earth. That was never my goal. Um it's it's very reasonable and like in that moment when the animosity is stripped away, they are still just able to be friends. It's a really beautiful thing and it, it, it makes it sell again. This is a well-worn story, but it is sold to me so passionately here.
0: Yeah, and then, yes, I love that sequence where Zayhart, you know, Asamu has decided to effectively sacrifice himself to try to stop, um, you know, this thing crashing to the earth. And then Zayhart comes in, and he just goes over the radio and starts talking. And as you say, like, Zayhart doesn't hesitate about it. And then as soon as, like, that channel is open, Asamu doesn't hesitate about it either. And they, like, yeah. just both immediately become friends again. And you feel how much, like, the weight is lifted off of those both of those characters because they've never wanted to be fighting each other. Yeah. Um, yeah
1: and the sense that like there's a sadness to Zayhard of he really wishes he didn't have to live this life of killing people and he does not like doing any of this but he believes very deeply that it has to happen to get him and his people onto what they believe is eden you know it is it is a very biblical like promised land kind of thing you know
0: yeah and and one of the dynamics with zayhart um, that's so critical for this arc is that he is also for most of the story, like he's like the only or one of the only people who kind of sees Asamu for who he is, right? Like he understands that like this is not really the life that you're accustomed to. To like make another Gohan comparison with Asamu, right? Like Gohan is not at his heart a fighter in the way that his dad Goku was, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing with with Asamu. Like he, while he is a very skilled mobile suit pilot, he doesn't have the mindset of a soldier, like this is just not the life that he's meant to lead, Um, it, particularly early on. Like it's just not the path that he should be walking. And Zayhart understands that Um, and is like trying everything he can to try to get asamu to see it. And Asimu like refuses to do the degree of self-reflection it would take for him to kind of understand that Zayhart's basically right. Um, And I think that that's such like an important dynamic that Zayhart is always trying to do what he think is, thinks is best for his friend. And where everyone else is unable to see past the, like, piloting skill that Asimu displays to see, like, who he is underneath that. Seihart's, like, the only person who's able to do it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh again, th-
1: this, this, just 13 episodes in the middle of this show is a great TV series unto itself. Which is part of what makes this such a kind of wild and special Gundam experience. Is it's all part of one show that all aired in a row is part of the craziness mm-hmm. of this to me, you know like yeah you do you do have to like pour one out for i feel like the amount of work that must have gone into keeping this all going without any fucking breaks in between you know like it would be like if if gundam double o just aired all 50 episodes at once you'd be like how the hell did you plan and get everything ready for that jump that you make in the middle it's crazy
0: yeah like specifically with like the number of different characters and things that this show necessitates because of like mm-hmm. the length of time it takes place over um, yeah, yeah it is definitely pretty crazy What other major characters should we touch on From part two here um,
1: I mean do we want, we've mentioned him in the background a little bit But old man Flit not, We're not an old man Flit yet but middle aged yes. man Flit um, It's such a I, I love that they immediately Kind of lean into the, the character That we seem to be heading towards But it's subtle it's, it's not that he is like fucking Captain Ahab Raging every day like loudly About the white whale um, it is actually I haven't read Moby Dick. I don't know if that's what Ahab does
0: in pop culture. He's portrayed as crazy. I mean, you know, this he's not that far off, really. Okay, okay, good. But it's like, a little bit more Shakespearean than that. He he yes. rages in a very Shakespearean tone about the white whale every day. Yes, yeah. that's that. That was kind of my sense of it. But I like that
1: Flit as an adult is someone who. He, he is in charge of this entire military apparatus. He's risen through the ranks. He commands respect from everyone for obvious reasons. He seems like a good guy but there is this like surface that is very calm but I feel like you always sense that there's more going on beneath that and of course the second arc over time I think you peel back some of those layers to see how dark those those waters run. You know what I mean? Yeah, no,
0: absolutely because this is yeah where you get I think part of like the concept of Flit which is like a chilling one for the Gundam franchise is it's it is this, like, what if Amuro, instead of kind of cutting himself off from everything after the events of the original Gundam, instead he just went hardcore, died in the wool fucking Federation man like that was the path that Amro walked after mobile suit gundam and he took all the pain and trauma and everything from that war and fused it as fuel to like push himself up the ranks in the military and just like in this very obsessive way like that is like a very haunting vision of like an alternate path for that character um which is what flit becomes right um and i think it's this thing where early on in the asumu arc you 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 don't necessarily, you know, get that deep of exposure to it where you see him more as like, oh, you know, maybe he doesn't spend enough time with Asumu or whatever because he's this very busy um, father or whatever. But you still have the couple of scenes around the dinner table and everything and you you get a little bit more of a look at, you know, he's he's kind of like a military dad. Um, But he's not absent. He's not a bad, like... Never
1: sees his kids father like like he's not the character version of it I guess is what I would say and I think that's part of the smart choice they make in making him feel three dimensionally human Um, and making some of what you're talking about being chilling is more chilling because of it.
0: Yes, exactly, that you you kind of can it's it's easy to buy into the like thing you want for Flit, which is you want Flit to be happy and to have a family and like you you like that little kid and it was so sad to see all the bad shit happen to him at the end of the last arc that you want him to be this like good dad and all this stuff. And then uh, the deeper you get into it, the more you see that's like he is this very cold, very calculating military commander that is like motivated by this like intense intense hatred for the vagans that like he repeatedly states multiple times um, and it's like reiterated most firmly at the end of this arc in episode 28 which is like a very haunting moment that's like his objective is to kill all the vagans and that's it Like, he is not interested in peace. He's not interested in compromise. He's not interested in half measures. He wants to kill every single one of them and just wipe them from the face of the solar system. And that's it. And he's like, they are not human. They are something that are other. And I'm going to do everything I can to just rid this entire solar system of, from his perspective, these, like, inhuman scum um and it's the way like as you dig deeper into that psyche you just say like the layers get pulled back and like death shield comes back you know you see him start to pilot the gun gundam age one again which is like a really cool like weird moment that i feel like you don't really expect him it feels like it's against the rules or something for him to like go out there like Amro never got in a gundam and suck in sucking zeta gundam like you only see him pilot mobile suit like barely in zeta gundam because it's like it's not fair you can't have the grown-up gundam boy in a new gundam tv show go out there in the gundam um and he just goes out there and like cleans up fucking shop um you know he's just murdering people um seeing that happen to that little boy is so sad
1: yeah but also, like, the balance of characters here is really impressive to me. Because you just uh-huh. mentioned, of course, him getting in the Gundam again. And one of... We've talked about this many times. We talked about with Zeta Gundam. And then, of course, it also comes back around when we get to see Destiny of when you're doing a sequel like this. And this is all part of the same show. But this is, like, the sequel arc, right? Yes. And this arc is supposed to be about Asamu. And there is a very real risk of if you put Flit back in the Gundam, do you steal Asamu's thunder? Do you stop the story being about him? And Zeta Gundam does a great job avoiding that Where Amuro gets a very significant role in that story But it is very much Camille's story And it never Mm -hmm. ceases being Camille's story Even when you've got Amuro and Char And all these other figures around from the first show Uh, And then Seed Destiny falls very, very hard on its face with this Where the moment Kira is back in a Gundam Poor Shin has no chance He is not the main character anymore It's Mm -hmm. it's, it's God, Jesus, Kira Um, And I think this one threads that needle really impressively Where... Flit getting back in the Gundam doesn't make him steal Asamu's Thunder. It makes Asumu a more interesting character because he has directly right there the thing to hold himself against, right? Uh-huh. That his dad can go out in a shittier mobile suit than what he has and just clean up house. And Asumu can't be an X-Rounder and he can't do all these cool things. And like his dad in that first fight when his dad comes out his dad like has to guide him and be like, and he used his X-Rounder's abilities through
0: Asamu like Asamu was a trigger on a gun. Um, like Asamu y- is Yudin from yes. Flit's arc, right? He just yeah. uses his son basically as a weapon. Exactly.
1: So the the integration of Flit here makes Flit a more interesting character and deepens that character we've been with since episode one, while doing nothing to dilute and in fact strengthening the characterization of Asamu. That's a really impressive,
0: and I have to imagine as a writer, very difficult line to walk. Yeah, because especially because this isn't a sequel, right? It is the yeah. same contiguous show. So it's like Flit is still meant to be like a main, main character because it's still kind of his show right it is still Gundam age it's not Gundam age 2 um so yeah so I think it it is a really impressive um tightrope they walk with that stuff and I do love that moment so much where Flick comes out in that big battle um because first you just get the whole like strategy and how effective he is and using his X-Rounder new type powers as a tactician to be winning this fight and how he's able to sort of like corral and deflect this like whole team Of The Magicians 8 Which is such a good name of like these like useless Fucking motherfuckers (laughs) because They can't do anything to Flit's strategies Because it doesn't matter how good a mobile suit pilot you are In a battle if everything else Is working against you And then when the most powerful new type Dex round of people come out Flit goes and handles it himself And it's so much this feeling of like you know, you got in a fight with another kid at the playground and then, like, your dad has to come up and settle it and be, you know, hopefully it's not your dad, like, literally going and fighting the other kid, but your dad has to come <laughs> up, right, and be like, hey, 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 you gotta stop and it's, like, that feeling of, like, well, I can't stand up for myself, like, I can't just solve my own problems, like, my dad, my super cool bearded Kakashi from Naruto dad has to go solve it for me. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like, so emasculating very directly to Asamu and, like, and inflict you know after that he doesn't even like remark on it he doesn't notice it like the thing he does later is he in front of his friends he goes up to Asumu and says you know if you had pilot a little bit better you could have shot down four more mobile suits and then he just walks away that's a flight. chilling
1: that's a really yeah. chilling moment yeah that that's the only thing he says there because i mean the the whole idea of like counting like it's a score which is also uh-huh. you just tell is like so alien to asamu is is not how he thinks about these things man um it's it's fucking great I I think I'm glad that you brought up all of the strategizing stuff too because I really like that during this stretch that Flit is is it's kind of almost easy in the beginning of the show like in those first three episodes we mentioned to roll your eyes at the whole idea of like boy genius Flit who's like built the Gundam and is a a boy genius and all that stuff but I like how they use it over time that he is a genius he is a intensely intelligent person. Uh, More so than most people in this or any other world But I like that as the show goes along It almost becomes like It becomes dark, you know, as the Uh character does That he has, like Zayhart throws a lot of very good strategies at him And Flit is just smarter and like there are there's it's it's very hard for anyone to get one up on him because he has that power and when you see at the end of this arc that what he wants to use that power for is the extermination of another like group of human beings um, it it becomes very scary to see him wielding that power not not like boy genius in a Sentai show he's so cool it's like oh god he wants to do a genocide (laughs) stop it yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah it's it's just he's such a fascinating character and, and you know i think we've mentioned him a couple of times that we should like specifically shout out kazahiko inoue um who just absolutely nails it um yeah. as as the voice of um adult flit and then we will meet grandpa flit for next time um, who continues to voice the character yes. um but it's a, a really strong performance and what a great character design
1: the because uh-huh. we've never really seen anything like this where you take someone who is like a basically prepubescent boy and then we meet them again as a like middle-aged grown man you know in Gundam that's a very rare thing to see I guess we've we've had some moments where you see like in a flashback like little kid Amuro or something but it's very different than what we have here where we go from the boy we know for an entire 15 episodes to now as a grown man and it's recognizably the same person but it's such a cool character design and idea and the way the blue hair continues to be a signature but becomes a goatee it's very well done
0: yeah i mean flit at this point has like lived a lot longer than most gundam characters like i don't think like amuro's dead before he even reaches this age so way before yeah yeah so so he's you know yeah like you, you get this like very dramatic transformation because it's like 25 years later like it's a long the, chunk of time there's a and chapter
1: I, in the crossbone gundam like short story collection where you meet judo as an old man Uh-huh. yes and that's really cool i do like old man judo in that but like that's the closest we've come to something like that and that was for one chapter of a manga not an ongoing tv series
0: Yeah, but but talking to this stuff reminded me, I do want to shout out the ending for um, Arc 2, I think, is really strong. So fucking good. um, It's the song My World by Spy Air, which is a great song. It's a song so good it's confusing to me why it's not the opening for this stretch, because it's like the opening song, I think, is fine, but it's not like remarkable. And like My World is a great theme. Um, but I also think just the animation that plays over the ending theme is so yes. good. And it's just as the show goes on, it gets more and more heartbreaking because you have those couple of photos because it's all like Asamu looking at photos of his past and it like kind of eventually goes up to things you have seen from him in high school but a lot of it is him as like a little baby with this like middle point flit that we don't actually see in the show where he's not a a kid but he's also not this old man he's this like young man who's a new father and there's like Asumu with like a big gundam like normal suit helmet on and flit like helping him put it on and asemu is like two or something um and that's like you see that and it just it hurts your heart so much to see like this you so desperately want like happy family Asamu and flit because you can imagine it right because flit had all the qualities as a young boy that could have made him into that family man and you can see them a little bit in that middle point there in that picture but at some point That was lost like he was not able to go On that path and he continued Marching as like a soldier Towards trying to kill the vacants
1: Well I think it's something they do well With Flit through this whole show is Even at his darkest I don't sense an Absence of good in him Uh like yeah I I assume there will be a redemption Arc for Flit in arc 3 I don't Know I don't know how the show ends it would be weird to Me if there wasn't that's kind of how this kind of story Goes and it feels like that is very Organic because I don't think like that Goodness is like completely drowned out Um, But it's something he's trying to drown out But yeah Mm -hmm. I I have to uh, follow up And agree with what you said on my world That is one of my favorite Gundam endings ever I actually would put it kind of in a similar vein to like Wana from Double O where it's a really different Uh Kind of song than you usually get And like the way it builds in intensity To that final thrust uh, Like push is so good And it is and like I think The reason to use it as an ending is it's a really good Specifically ending like you come out of these Episodes where Asumu has been pushed or learned something about himself and then you get that song with those lyrics and the animation that is about in the first half of that animation sequence is about memories and photos and these things that he's grappling with, and then is him running through that tunnel and then out into mm-hmm. the field where the Gundam is. And it is such a great symbolic animation sequence about who Asumu is as a character and the journey he's on. More so than I think most like anime endings get to do. Like it actually says something about the character in a way where a lot of anime endings are either kind of just thrown off or they're just fun images of the characters, or I don't know. They're they're like double O. You get a boy band at the end doing each other's <laughs> hair on the beach, but uh-huh. like it's not usually this like narratively and thematically significant to me. Like I watch that ending all thirteen episodes because yes. I think it's so compelling. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, overall, I actually like the themes on this show. I think Sharp uh, the the second opening is not great, but I will say it's better than a lot of the like throwaway Gundam seed openings that I that I think we got through mm-hmm. that whole cycle. Yeah, um, I and I think the first ending, "Hero Within You," um, by Minami uh, Kuribayashi is fine. Like it's again not great, but I would put it in that same vein as Sharp of like if the average is here, it's like just slightly above that to me.
0: Yeah, I, honestly, it's just the thing that like Gundam as a franchise just like it like historically unusually has very good opening yes. and ending themes like like that are above like the average quality you would expect. So it's it's more like. I feel like a lot of the opening and endings for like Gundam seed was like this. And I think Gundam age has this Where Like they're like normal quality. Like it's not a bad song. It's like totally fine. There's only been a couple of like that last weird little chunk of turn a or whatever that had that one song century color. That's just like garbage, you know, like there's been a couple of just like actively bad songs. These are like good, solid anime opening and ending themes that are just not as yeah. like, you know, when you're coming off of fucking double O like, double O has some of like it's like one of the hottest sets of opening and ending themes that any anime i've ever seen has had so it's like it's just not going to be able to compare across the bulk of everything um but it has a couple of those songs that are of that quality
1: i mean for a for a 28 episode stretch of animation to have one really great opening and one really great ending that is batting above average i think that's really good that's fantastic yeah so gundam keeping it up there all right. I feel like um, maybe we're we're kind of winding down here. Is there anything else we want to say about this second arc and some of the characters? Of course, if we miss anything, we can come back to it next time. But
0: yeah, um, I think we didn't, and we don't have to talk about her a lot. But like, we, you know, we have Romery here as the sort of like heroine for this second arc. Like she, you know, I think there's like potential to have done a little bit more with like the love triangle thing, um, because I think there there's like a little bit left on the table. Um, with that because I think in particular, I think the turn of where she and Asumu end up together at the end always feels like a little bit like sudden to me because I feel like the read I always had is that Romery sees Asumu more as a friend and is more romantically mm. interested in Zehart, And that's never like, I think, really satisfactorily resolved by the show. And it feels like something that I wish that there was like an episode or something that was more focused on their... On specifically Asumu and Romari's relationship near the end that kind of like connected those dots. Um, because Romari, I should say, is voiced by Hanazawa Kana, who is like one of the great modern voice actresses. Like people who are a fan of Kimetsu no Yaiba can wait for a little bit until we get the Kanroji arc um, of oh the swordsmith stuff. You're going to get some really good shit from her there. Um, and it feels like, so she as an actress is really great, but like the thing she's best at is if you give her a character that externally is very like kind of cute and fluffy and kind and charming because she has that like really kind of, um, cute, very kind of soft vocal quality she can do so well. But those characters that then underneath that have a much harder edge and she's so good at that and those are like her most memorable characters and Romery just feels like a very kind of throwaway character that is like you know not at all up to like i think the standards that she kind of has as an actress like even at this point um Mm -hmm. she has played like a lot of really good characters already um and this just feels like a she's fine like it's a fine role but like it's just i wish there was like more meat to it especially when you have an actress that good playing her
1: yeah no i think you know what you said earlier about if you just like flipped the episode counts for these two arcs both would be better i think that's true i think if this were 15 episodes and you had one extra episode at the beginning At the school just with a little more Like of of some of the Zayhart stuff And and bringing up some of that and just, just to have fun With like the secret Gundam hero Of it all mm-hmm. and then one episode Later on while they're in the military Where Romery and and uh, Asamu's Relationship is the focus I think it would be Perfect because this these 13 episodes are Tight there is no yeah. wasted space And there's no time to waste space they move Through a lot of story and character work But I do think Romery is the one who probably Suffers the most in in terms of, there's just not a time enough time to service absolutely everything, you know.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, and then the other thing I also want to point out about this section is like this part in particular, part two. It is like an embarrassment of just like actors that are like right about to become super huge and are <laughs> not. Um, so you have one that we've already mentioned is uh, Sakura Ina. Um, people might recognize her now as she is Ochako, uh, the main heroine in My Hero Academia. She's also in like everything. She's a brilliant actress. She's Ruth Remy, the um, the the engineer that gets killed in like what is like the most violent thing that's happened in the show. Like it's like I I was <laughs> shocked. Off. Like I remember that character died and it was very dramatic, but I did not remember this. Like oh my god, like she just gets shot up and you kind of just basically see it. Um, I love
1: that little romance though And I yeah. think her And what's the name Of the, the, the red haired guy uh, she's O'Bright with? O'Bright Yeah I like O'Bright And I think I, I posted a clip of this On Twitter if you want to see it But the moment when he Proposes to her Out of the blue Because he's worried He's going to
0: die Is so adorable And is one uh-huh. of my favorite Scenes in this show And one thing I think Is very effective Specifically about that Sequence is that you know, obviously you have seen s- scenes like that in Gundams all over the place because it is a very standard way in any uh, show to kind of set up, oh, one of these characters is going to get killed tragically, right? It's it's what in <laughs> Japanese you call it like setting a flag that's like you planted this flag now, like this is something that's going to have to get paid off. But Gundam age specifically now as compared to most shows has this mechanism where you can't tell, is that a flag about that, these char- one of these characters is going to die, or is it a flag that these characters are going to have a kid that are going to be a character in the next section of the show? And I, and I love, I feel like that was intentional. I feel like they knew, oh, we have like this other way you could read a setting a romantic relationship up that is not just we have to kill one of them. It is just we are going to have one of the crew members of the next fucking set of characters is going to be their kid. Um, and I think that that is like a cool, fun, smart way to kind of play with the premise they have yeah yeah um and then the other two actors i want to shout out very quickly because i just was shocked when i heard their voices because they are really big now is uh kaji yuki who is in everything he's uh Todoroki, one of the main characters of my hero academia he is also aaron the main character in attack on titan as well as in a bunch of different stuff uh he is the little green-haired nerdy guy who's a part of the mobile suit club in like the first three episodes that's, that's a very small role Yes, that is the guy who like two years later plays the main character in like the biggest, most popular anime of like the past five years Attack on Titan. And then even crazier, because it took me like 10 minutes searching around to find a place to like confirm this credit, is that in that sequence in like episode two, there's a group of bullies that goes and like makes fun of Asamu and his group in the Mobile Suit Club. And one of the random bullies is voiced by Matsuoka Yoshitsugu, who people on this podcast will know as Inosuke from Kimetsu no Yaiba. Oh my god. As as well as the main character of Sword Art Online show from Genshin Impact, a million other things. And he has like two lines of dialogue, but it's so clearly him because he has such a distinctive voice. And like it's not credited on like my anime list is one of the main places I look at for uh, credits because it's got a good listing. Um, with pictures and stuff for the actors. Um, and I had to like go digging to a couple of other sites. To like confirm for sure that that was who that was. um, But that. I, I, I My mind was blown. Because it's like. It's literally like six months before he started having like protagonist roles. in other shows and stuff like that. That he was an extra basically in one episode of Gundam Age. Nice. Um, that's great. Uh, a couple things I want to mention Sean.
1: Um, I think the music in this show. Is not like. Top shelf best of all time Gundam I think it's a good score though I think Uh it's got some really Effective moments the composer is a guy named Or actually I don't know their gender Kei Yoshikawa Um, I cannot find a lot of credits for this person They might be in like the Sunrise Sound Department because they worked on Inuyasha before this Mm -hmm. But um, anyway I do Think it's a solid score and I think the way like They have themes from part one and Then themes from part two and near the end of part two Some of the themes from part one come back around Flit I think there's some very solid stuff there uh, and then I also want to give a shout-out to... We haven't talked a ton about the mobile suits in, in Part 2. There's a lot of good ones. But Zayhart's main mobile suit, the uh-huh. is... It, it will be on my list next year For our year three gun, Like top ten mobile suits It is a phenomenal mobile suit I It is like the best evolution of the Because my one problem with the UE stuff In part one is I think it all looks a little samey At a certain mm-hmm. point it reminds me of like Dragons on Yu-Gi-Oh cards It's just all kind of a blur And I think the Zedra takes a lot of those basics And then makes it very distinctive I love the red and orange color scheme I particularly love anytime you see it from the back And like that orange Vents on the back and some of that stuff. It is a really cool mobile suit. That in motion, they do a lot of really cool striking
0: stuff with. Um, definitely my favorite on this show so far. Yeah, I saw the red mobile suit come up and it was like, "There's Jonathan's one. He's, he's, he's there's Jonathan's <laughs> favorite mobile suit in the show. It's already here. um yeah, But it's good, I, right? I'm not... Yeah, no, it's a good mobile suit. Yeah, I yeah, I think definitely think for me, the, the, I think the best mobile suit of what we've seen so far is the Gundam H2 Double Bullet um, because oh, it's, I, it's so like because it's basically like a fusion of the Zeta Gundam which is the obvious informi- uh, inspiration for the H2 with the transforming, transforming into a plane and all that and it's combining that with the O-Riser attachment on the Double O Gundam which you kind of talked about. Um, I think it's just like a really I mean, you like your red mobile suits. I like my Gundam with wings. We know what we like on this podcast. (laughs) And this, and specifically the second part of Gundam Age, happens to have both of those things in really good designs.
1: Yes. There's also the the sort of this this I like how this um, set of episodes ends where you have episode 27. I saw red sunset is the climax, and then episode 28 is sort of an epilogue. But the ending of that episode, I saw red sunset, which is the first time you get to Earth Mm -hmm. on this show. This Mm -hmm. show takes longer to get to Earth than I think any Gundam. Right? There's no other Gundam where it takes this long. Mm -hmm. But you're paid off with the image at the end of episode 27, which is flit uh Asumu on like the shore with his gundam looking at like the sunset of all the like debris coming down is an incredible gundam image and just like i'm saving that for a wallpaper or something it's a tremendous gundam image um, yes
0: and specifically for it to be it's the it's the culminating point really of this arc because it basically this arc is like those 27 episodes and then this epilogue 28 which kind of is like a way to sort of see these characters like to an end point for the story and like kind of set up the political stuff that then will be picked up in arc three right. Um for the culmination of this to be Asimu landing on earth and seeing the sunset and the sun's like gigantic. It's basically like he landed like at the same beach at the same time where uh uh everyone in G Gundam is seeing off master Asia at the end yes. and the East is burning red, right? It's like there's this crazy giant sunset. Um, and that to be the ending is he you know as you said uh, earlier like a big part of Asumu's arc really is him like trying to figure out what is he fighting for and like what are we fighting for like what is this war about like why am i being involved what is hard his motivations and all the weird jealousy and living up to his dad and all that and for like the part of the answer that the show is giving is that this fight is about this it is about the earth and it's like the first time you as the audience on this show have seen the earth and it's the first time Asamu as a character has seen the earth along with like Zayhart um who you don't see in that sequence but you know that he's coming down onto earth also in the same sort of like debris fall um and that being the like big kind of mic drop drive, mic drop moment of this arc of the show leading then into arc three um which is going to start on earth right like you see this like this is what it's about we're finally here Like, all of these conflicts originate from here. They are about coming back to here. Um, And it's about, you know, in a very Gundam-esque fashion, it is about us being unable to escape the gravity of Earth literally and symbolically. Um, And and that moment there with the sunset is a very, like, striking um, visual, like, punctuation mark um, showing you that right at the end of this arc. 100%.
1: And I do think that final episode Upheaval in the Earth sphere Is very good mm-hmm. um, I like that we finally get some payoff To everything we've been hearing about With the Earth government And what they've been up to With the Vegans And it's obviously it's mostly set up For whatever's going to come next But I think it's good And I think the final kick Of of uh, Flit in that scene saying My goal is to exterminate all of them And the president The corrupt president Just being so
0: horrified by that As we mm-hmm. are um, it's, a, it's, it's a very strong ending yeah. Um, and then and then you have Asimu and Romeri get married and Flit is not at that wedding. I don't know if you noticed that, but like mm. there's you see a bunch of people there and Flit's not there. Um, I will flip that scene again. That's great. Yeah, That's an interesting point. He is he is, you know, very committed to his fucking mission, right? And yeah. it's yeah, it's uh very it's like a very like kind of dark weird ending of where you know asemu has found some sort of like revelation and found himself has found some happiness but you know that like the world is being set on the wrong course and being steered in the wrong direction by flit who has basically like taken control of the earth federation at that point and has and as you get this narration saying like he led basically like you know purge like yeah like a purge the
1: kind of th- language you hear out of, like, Communist China or something,
0: right? Yes. Uh is, yeah. so like, get rid of all the dis- dissidents within the Earth Federation. And then, you know, in the next part, we will then pick up with a third and final Gundam boy, Kyo, who looks shockingly weirdly like his mother and not like <laughs> Asimu. Um, and to see what happens as he discovers his grandfather's Gundam. Um, but, you know, it's his grandfather, right? So we're going to pick up a good chunk of time later, kind of seeing the the outcome of everything that's happening here. Next time on
1: Mobile Suit Gundam, uh, I, or Weekly Suit Gundam, I am very excited to watch the rest of this show and talk about it with you, Sean. Because I will say I liked this show coming into this discussion. I like it way
0: more after talking about it for three hours. This is a good fucking show. Yes, yeah, I'm I'm very happy that like I've, as I said at the top of this podcast, like I I kind of had like mixed sort of like feelings on the show from my memory, which were kind of vague, and the show hadn't sat a lot in my memory. Um, and yeah coming out of this conversation and watching the show again I think it is a really good Gundam um, and I'm really excited to revisit this second half and see how Gundam Age comes to a conclusion next time on Weekly Suit Gundam